Hey, this is Carl Story. You are listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. <laughs> As usual. Checking it twice because it's the season, Vince. It is. Unfortunately. You can't fight oh, it. it is. Stop it. It is the season for the force. <laughs> oh, oh, we're back on that I horse gonna, now? I was going to ask you too, Vince, before we start. Got my tickets, man. I'm all set. Nice. Thursday at 7, son. It's going to blow up. I'm at here. Oh, really? Yes, sir. I mean, I'm over here, I don't even have the tablet right now. Right? Oh, my pen. Jason, what'd you do? Oh, see, look, it's not that's a big one. I'll skip. And my, uh, and my nuts are my, my pen. Oh, it smells good. Wait, what's that stuff on the end of it? Great. Great. Look at you all natty with the with the big crazy man beard. You like that? Yeah. I want to look crazy. It's hot. And I'm going to stand outside of stores and ring bells and get money. Nice. Keep it. <laughs> That's what they're doing. Fuck it. Yeah. Fund my comic addiction, please, so I don't have to go, you know, rob people. Oh, yeah. Be mean. <laughs> Can you imagine me robbing somebody? <laughs> so stupid. Oh, my goodness. Thank God for Wednesday. For reals. Mm-hmm. Hump day. We would have had an earlier episode this week, but I couldn't get... It was like herding cats with these two guys. Nobody well, would reply to me. Well, fair, David you, replied. You, you post about five messages a, a week. Yeah. So true. it's hard to really Sorry. know if you're serious. No, I was dead. I was serious as a heart attack. I wanted to do it last night. That would have been great. It would have been. Yeah. We were ready. <laughs> we, meaning David and I, you just didn't want to have it. That's not true. It's okay. I said, are we really doing this tonight? And then David said, right, tomorrow would be better. Ah. Uh. And I said, cool, me too. Well, yeah, I mean, like 20 after 8, that's when I said that, because I was like, I, I was out by like 9.30. No I was stressed. You, you were participating in the uh, the C2E2 banter last night. I thought you were all salty, like Lowry's. No, it was because you, you started that at like 10 to 11, and I was already fucking done. I was, Damn. Now it's all over. I, I was done. I don't know if the people listening at home know this. But Mr. Wood could be a massive dick when he wants to be. <laughs> because you can. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I laughed out loud. When you were doing that C2E2 stuff, and I was like, everybody's going back. Who's in? Who's in? Oh, yeah. It was like uh, you can feel the fervor, like building and building. And I said to – I was really talking to Dap when I said this. But I did it in the C2, C2E2 thing. Anyway, I said, when's that Dark Knight 3 hardcover <laughs> supposed to ship? I didn't see it. <laughs> And, and like maybe about 10 minutes later, Jason goes, well, I'm glad we've got the logistics of the Dark Knight 3 all this stuff. <laughs> you dick. Well, dude, I'm telling you, all these people that are in, we're getting the gang back together. And then you're like, it's as if it is, there was no conversation whatsoever about it. Because we've I'm honestly been talking about it for like three months. We've been talking about it. You and I since, have. Since Heroes, but, right. But Vince like, has been noncommittal. Right. Well, well I, that was... There were I'm saying times they are changing. Yes, they are for the better. You're I guess swimming in loot. Oh, <laughs> swimming! I mean, it's, it's, your, your pool is full of doubloons right now. I throw them up on my like to hit me on the head. Exactly. And you know what? You know what we're full of? We're full of comic talk because oh. this is 11 o'clock comics episode 397. Wow! Jeez. And I, <laughs> it's a frog in my throat. <laughs> And I am Vince B. Aw. 
I like your little frog. I'm David A. Price. Yes, you are. And in keeping with my promise this month, I am <laughs> Adi Mundi. Collective promise keeping. But I'm oh, I'm glad you, you're back on the TIE Fighter. That's a good thing. You can TIE be. Fighter. Yeah, TIE Fighter. You you got to go. You don't go with the Rebels. Dude, I'm no, a no, Jedi no. Master. What's his name? Adi Mundi is one of the Jedi Council members. I'm telling you, I'm not. Oh, that's from the prequels? <laughs> I don't, I don't pay attention to that. Shit. No, it's not from the prequels. Well, see, I don't like to know until I go in. Like, all these names. All I know so far is Kylo no, Ren. Dude, dude, you're, you're, you're wrong on both counts. It's neither from the prequels nor from the new stuff. It's, it's from the comics. He was in like 75 issues. Oh, I don't pay attention to that. <laughs> it's so it can't be from the comics. It can't be. It can't be from the prequels, and it can't be from what's happening. So it has to be from the original three films. That's it. That's good. That's all that yeah. That's, what That's a good bet. It's a good bet. Mm. Safe bet. But I'm thinking the new one will um, at least play favorably to the older ones. I hope so. It's going to make oh. the first three. The, the prequels look like shit. It can't. We're, uh, even if we're rewatching them as a family right now. Oh, nice. Yeah. Kids digging in. Well, I mean, it's not. How many times have they seen it? Uh, that's a good question. I, Colin and Jackson have seen the, them all a bunch. I, I mean, at least three or four times each, I'm, I'm thinking. Okay. But I think Holden, he definitely had seen it before. We, we just watched the first one, Phantom Menace, so far. But, uh, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, uh, we just figured it'd be fun to watch all six, uh, in a row before, uh, two Thursdays from now. By the way, that's talk awesome. about strange timing. For the record, you said this is episode 397, did you not? I did. So if we were to maintain our never miss a week plan. <laughs> What's his if? I know. No, oh, I'm, I'm, that's being facetious. But uh, December 23rd, which is Wednesday, right before the Xmas, would be episode four frickin' hundred. Oh, that's awesome. That's our gift to them. We're going to give the <laughs> world give. our 400th episode. Keep the receipt. They will bestow upon us, uh, upon us. They will bestow upon us incense. Or frankincense, incense, and myrrh. What is it? Is that right? Yeah, Frankenstein. I'll take Frankenstein. Yeah, they'll give you Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. Like the wise men, they will be they will be bequeathed upon us great things. (laughs) No, you're not. Apollo, Chocho, whatever you said. (laughs) We're gonna get a name eventually. You are Jason Wood. Everybody's in the house this week, and it's a good thing too, because the list of specials. On our Wumba. sponsor site, that is Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com. Once again, for the hearing impaired, DCBService.com has not yet been posted. So we can postulate or guess what's going to uh, be up. But needless to say, the discounts will be both plentiful and deep. You'll be able to get your comics for a fraction of the cover price, get them shipped all nice and secure to your very door, and you don't even have to lift your butt off the couch. You do have to lift a finger. And go online and order them. But it's real easy. And they love you. We love them. And they are the best in the business. DCBService.com. Preach. Do it up. Mr. Wood. Mm-hmm. He's a type of What fool. are you doing? Sorry, I'm writing one of our fans. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Always working, this motherfucker. Yeah, Mr. Dapp, what are you drinking? I'm interested. Oh, man. Uh, it, it does not feel... Like a wine kind of day or evening, because of the wetness. None, just the wetness. Um, 
just un- and don't because of some of the fucking nonsense going on in the world, but uh, well, specifically this country. But uh, I am having tonight some uh, Bullet Bourbon Frontier whiskey. Wow, you are a clever, crafty bitch. You are <laughs> nice, nice little. I like that because they aren't. They're not going to get it because that was a message. No, so that's it cool. just shows you I pay attention. You do. I was. I, that was probably the last thing that was posted, right? Who else is here? Oh. Jason. Wow, dude, you you're drink- saucy tonight. Because <laughs> no, I love you. Wow. What are you drinking? I am, uh, you know, I am drinking the wine. So. Oh, yay. Yeah, so I am drinking La Madrid, which is a uh, Malbec from Argentina. 2012 vintage. Sweet. Yeah. Is it? No, you don't like them sweet. Dad would like it because it's got, uh, he would like, it's a, it's a cleverly designed label. It's, it, it's a, it's blue with, very solid white block letter, and then it's got like light coming in an open door, and the 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 door frame is actually a cutout of the label, such that you can see the wine. It's nice. It's, awesome. like, it's like Shadow Man, sort of like that. I like yeah, that is cool. Yeah. What are you drinking, our hairy Sicilian friend? I am drinking yet again the Stegmeyer Oktoberfest. I'm almost done with the case, and uh, once this is done. I'm seriously going to check out Yingling. I said this before. Yingling has an IPA. I am intrigued. I had one bottle, and, man, I was very surprised. I was like, Yingling? This is fantastic, but I'm going to have it. I'm going to get a whole case and drink it all up myself and be drunk and stupid. Mm. As, opposed to, as, as opposed to just plain stupid, but I'm going that way. So let's talk about the comics, unless anybody has any thank yous. Uh, I do, actually. Sweet. I do. Um, our good friend and someone, you know, it's, it's, it's come to my attention uh, in our, this week's back and forth with said friend, how long it's been since I've hung out with him in person. Yeah, that's true. Our man, Tim Rackridge, Freaky Tiki. Oh, I was going to guess Chris Campbell. No, I've seen Campbell a lot, but, um, but Tim, who is another one of our con going crew, I don't think we, I mean, I haven't seen him in at least four years. It, it may be even longer than that. Um, but we, we have mentioned him on the show from a time or two. And, um, Tim is uh, not only a, a good buddy and a comic fan, but he, uh, he's a waiter by, by career, but used to work in advertising. And I never, in all the years that we were getting to know him, I, I didn't know he was a very artistic person. And then the last few years, he has, uh, to anyone who knows him or is friends with him on Facebook knows, he's really reopened a prior passion for painting, uh, like traditional oil-based painting. And, uh, he's put, he's had some pretty stellar stuff. It's even, he's even had a gallery show this year. Um, so he's quite the talented dude. So, he very nonchalantly a few weeks ago, were chatting on Facebook, had said to me, and in retrospect, I see what he was doing, was quizzing me about my jam pieces and how much he loved the idea of the Cannonball Run piece that I started this year. Well, I got an envelope this week, and inside the envelope was a letter from Tim and telling me how much he loved the Cannonball Run and that even though he is not a published comic book artist, he couldn't resist the idea of being a part of this because he, too loves Cannonball Run. So he went ahead and took on a piece of, 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 uh, of like, can- of, uh, some kind of very hard, like, canvasy type paper 
he framed out in the exact same size as all of my JMP squares uh, and painted an amazing Dean Martin in priest garb from Cannibal Run. Yeah, it's really nice. And, uh, yeah, and he sent it to me and he said, uh, you know, I just wanted to do this for you. And so I, I was like floored, man. It was, it's beautiful. And it was so nice of him to do that. Like, it, like it's, it's hand painted. It's gorgeous. And, uh, so I will be gl- gl- happily adding it to the Jampies. Uh, mm. and, uh, I just want to say thank you because it was super, super nice of him to do that. And, um, we, uh, we apparently will be f- remedying our lack of hanging out sometime soon because he is said he is in for C2E2 in March. Yay. So thank you, Tim. Much love, my friend. I would not cut that. I mean, I know it was intended for the jam piece. I wouldn't do you it. You keep it as a standalone, right? No, because you're, you're disturbing the splay of paint in the manner by which he put it down. So I would not, oh, that's I would not alter that at all. Because he designed it specifically with the hope it would go on the jam piece to become part of the I, I know. He's got the lines on it for the cutouts. Yeah, but, right, but he, he painted past the lines, mm-hmm. right? And the marks that are beyond the boundaries of that square, they're nice. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be able to cut that. It, I, I definitely, I'm kind of siding with Vince because I, I think it looks like you could just put that between two pieces of plexiglass and put it on, on your desk at work. I mean, it just, it looks perfect standalone. I just, I, you know, and if, if you were a huge D Martin fan, but besides Cannonball Run, I mean, if you had like his whole catalog on vinyl and things like that, it would be perfect as a standalone. I absolutely think it's cool to add it to the jam piece. And you've, mm-hmm. we've, we, we've, we've had the discussions, we've had the conversations about whether or not, you know, you would ever manipulate any of the jam pieces and things like that. It, <laughs> That's this, true. This, For other reasons, but yeah. Right, right. So, I mean, this <laughs> would be, it, it would be neat and it would be, you know, in, in, in the manner it was intended. It was, it was an offering designed for the jam piece. But if it was, if it was pen and ink, like almost all the rest of them are, it may, and if it wasn't on that canvassy harder type stock, non Bristol stock, mm-hmm. it might make, it would probably make more sense in my mind, especially if I had them in, in hand. But as it is right now, I think that is, that that's something that should just be in a, just like, Dad would have the old Hall of Fame base is his his favorite player rookie card in in the plexiglass and and that I think would look really cool just by itself. Yeah, well, he you didn't get this at a show. You didn't um solicit someone. It was done for you as a as a surprise, as a gift. So outside of a con. So he went above and beyond just to make you happy. I would give that piece um, an elevated position by not treating it like all the other pieces on that thing. If you want to stick it in, scan the damn thing and, and, you uh, know, cut it out and then yeah, just scan the, it, the, the Photoshop, problem. print it. Yeah. Print it on nice paper and then just, just lay it in. Uh, but I would give him the distinction of, of going way above and just make that a standalone piece. I would, but Hey, you make very compelling arguments. Yeah, I don't like to tell you what to do because you're a smart dude. You'll figure it out. I trust you. you know I trust in your intelligence. Yeah. All right, cool. You know how to make it yeah. right. Uh, either way, <laughs> either way, much love to the, to the freaky tiki. Seriously. Yes. Big time, big time. All right. Well, I'm guessing that the, um, customary Jessica Jones walking dead talk 
that we've been doing the past couple of weeks will be at a minimum this week because number one, Jason has not got uh, caught up on Jessica Jones, and two, <laughs> we all watched the, the finales, season finale, <laughs> the mid-season finale of Walking Dead yeah. was the suck. Wait, that was so. the mid-season finale. Yes, yeah, it's not yes. back February. Oh, wow, dude. Yeah. I didn't yeah. I did not go out on a limp. high note. The only cool Can you say part, limp dick? The only, Terrible. And we'll get the bat out of the way first then. The only, the only cool thing, eh, there, there were maybe more than one, but, but one thing that really I appreciated and is the same storytelling technique they did throughout the entire, uh, first seven episodes of this season was, um, they had the, uh, they, they had useless Gene pick up the walkie-talkie, and he was the one saying hello when Daryl was driving the truck back to Alexandria, saying you know hello and calling for help. And so, just like the earlier episodes of this season, where something was happening, and we're going to find out later where that all connects, they offered that in this episode. But there were some other things that just a little head scratching. They're a little heavy handed with the fucking metaphor right at the beginning with the ants and, and the cookies. Yeah. But, yeah. Just, but my daughter was, Mia was watching it. She looked at me and she goes, metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Can we all agree that Morgan gets people killed? Morgan is a selfish bastard whose, um, insight so he thinks into the world. He, he holds that above all else. Ah, there's, ah, I can't kill. There's no reason to take a life, blah, blah, blah. Everybody can be, he gets he's, people he's killed. He's misguided. He he's, is, he's deluded. Okay, his argument to Rick and to Carol was that if you had killed me when we first met, because I was a crazy son bitch and it was just me and my son and I would have killed you dead, Rick. If you had killed me, I would not have been walking the land all Kane style and then wandering upon Daryl and Aaron and saving them to get them back to Alexandria. I get where Morgan is coming from. Yeah, I get it too, but, but that's, but, but, that's but you have to know who to be able to save. And a dude right. with the W carved in his forehead who is talking about once I'm upright, I'm killing everybody. That's not the dude you fucking save. No, he's assuming that everyone has the same capacity right. for goodness. Right. And if you look out your window, you see that's not necessarily true. So everyone's not equal, Morgan. Uh, sorry, but they're not. So people need to die. But anyway, terrible episode, especially so since it was the mid-season finale. Yeah. Yeah. Little, um, Sam's got to go. Oh, he no, he's got he's to gotta die. Yeah, he's got. I want him to be screaming, "Mom, mom!" And he turns around and he's holding a fucking zombie's hand instead, and then he ends up just getting it. They should put him and Zach from the Strain in the same room and oh, then just, just like burn them alive. Let them let them fight each other with rusty spoons and then just burn them alive. Nora can't get a break because I was really happy that she was on Scandal, but that didn't last long. And I was looking around <laughs> for Zach, figuring that you know that was the cause of her dying in that show too. But uh, Jason's awful quiet. Uh, I'm still trying to wrap my head around the fact that it was this season finale. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> um, especially I, I just, with Maggie. Oh, God, I'm sorry. No, especially with Maggie on the perch. It's like, it's like they were just, they set things up and, and with them walking single file, that was a setup that, that was a penultimate episode closing scene. That wasn't yes. a scene yeah, yeah. that you sit on 
for fucking three months until it comes back. But I'm sorry, Jason, go ahead. No, I mean, I'm with you guys. I think that it was, it was definitely anticlimactic because I think for, as we talked about a week or two ago, for me, this has been one of my, if my, my favorite season of the, of the show to date. I, I, up until this point, I, I really enjoyed this season quite a bit. Um, and then to be honest with Glenn coming back and then this last episode, it kind of went on a low note for me. Um, not that I'm not glad, like we said last week to have Glenn cause he's a great character and I, I like the actor, but I just, I don't mind that Glenn's alive. I just, I just think they played a little too fast and loose with how, how we got there. Um, but that being said, I think this episode was just so backward looking. Like I feel like all the tropes, all of the things that were supposed to be scary were more conventional things that we saw in like the first or second season when they really weren't quite sure what they were doing and they would accidentally put themselves in much more precarious positions. Like, I just don't feel like this group of, like, this this version of Rick and his crew would have spent the whole season avoiding the Horde, and then the second they start pouring in, their instinct is to go and lock themselves up in houses that are getting surrounded. Like, that just doesn't, like, like six seasons in, That's I don't think that's what they do. I think they'd either try and figure out a way to fight, or they'd get the hell out of there. Like, I don't think they'd be, like, I just don't understand, to me, like, that's season one, when they don't even know what happens, and they're like, alright, let's, let's find shelter. I don't know. Right. And then- It does, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, because your sanctuary is not so safe anymore. Exactly. You have a huge, a huge chunk of wall yeah. that's missing. Even if you do clear out all the zombies, what are you gonna do? Build up the wall again? Like, yeah, there, there, there has to be walkers outside of the, of the place, like roaming in the woods. You're gonna have a constant stream of at least like, you know, say three, five, seven, whatever. So you're not gonna be able to rebuild the wall. It's not gonna happen. You gotta clear out the tower first. It, it's just, it boggles the mind why they're still staying there. Yeah, and, and I think that, uh, I guess I disagree with you, Vince, on Morgan. Um, I to me thought that that was the best part of the of the episode because I think what it's really trying to illustrate is the juxtaposition of how cold blooded and unforgiving Carol's become and Morgan's different way of looking at it and really to me this was about the fact that Carol's unwillingness or inability to accept another way of doing things at this point and I understand why she thinks that way after what they've been through but um created that issue if she hadn't agitated, I don't think there's any reason to think that any of that would have happened because he's been dealing with that guy in captivity for many, many a day by then. So um, yeah. I think that was more about them having uh, just a massive philosophical difference and really illustrating using Morgan as a foil to illustrate how far gone Carol is. And to me, that's the, <laughs> that's the most impressive part of the show versus the comic is what an incredible – story arc Carol has had because mm -hmm. we're all used to from the comic, the Rick arc and Rick really almost descends into madness as much as anything. But Carol's not insane. Like Carol's just be when she went from an abused mousy woman mm -hmm. in the real, in the old world to probably the most cold blooded, rational, efficient. logical, efficient. Like yep. she, she has evolved into probably the perfect human being for this world. I was just going to say that. Right. She, she is the, um, the, uh, top of the species in terms of survival. Right. She's got it down. She's got it down. Alpha of the species now. Yeah. And it's amazing to see it represented in the form of a gray haired, uh, petite woman, right? Like, yeah, but she's the alpha. 
Not Rick. Not and, Michonne. And no. And seriously, how dumb? Hey, uh, I'm gonna go do something and leave this deadly, mass murdering creature with a uh, mousy doctor lady. Yeah, yeah. Nurse Jackie. That really? <laughs> did you did you think that was gonna turn out well? Well, I guess they figured because she's the well. He went to her to figure out, you know, how can I prolong a life? And so she either, I, I don't really remember if she took it upon herself to follow him or if he said, listen, can you come help me? Because I'm pretty sure Morgan would have done it on his own. So she followed him. And once she sees him, then obviously I, I'm, she decided to stick with him. But uh, she, now he didn't know what an how, infected wound looked like. So that's why he took her. He's like, what do I do for this wound? If it, how do I know it's infected? Right. And she's, she, you know, that's why. but how fucking Eugene, Tara, and Rosita all give up their fucking weapons because he's got a knife to her throat. Seriously, that didn't make sense either. And another thing that didn't click with me uh, as being what the reality of that situation would have been as the characters were written. The, the wolf would have slit her throat right after he left that door and pushed her back in. He would have killed yeah. her. He would, he would, there was no point in leaving with her. He got to the point where he wanted to be. She was useless to him because she, he's only, she's only going to hold him back. Unless he's thinking, you know, obviously there's more than just these five people, six people in this town. If I run into any more of her friends, then she's my shield. If he was thinking that far ahead. Yeah. In the meantime, though, she can get him killed. Yes, absolutely. She's bad. Which, which that's what Tara even said. You know, you, there's nothing for you out there. You're going to get yourself killed. He says, maybe. And then he goes, but he ends up, but he only takes one gun. Yeah. After he leaves the fucking room when, when, when they're walking, because they weren't walking in front of him. He walked past them. I'm, I just, there was just, some stuff that had, had me scratching my yeah. head there. I didn't even watch Talking Dead after this episode because I was all salty because it was his <laughs> life. I don't know. I don't care. I can't be having that walk that Talking Dead, Jean. Stop. No, I can't stand it. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. Depends on who's on it. I don't even know who the uh, surprise cast member was. Didn't care. Oh, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm thinking, what was the most notable thing about this episode? Uh, uh climbing the ladder. Yeah, yeah, Deanna. Yeah, Deanna. Deanna with like two... Two defining moments. First, when she was telling Michonne about the Latin and, and this is, you know, this is how the town's going to be. And then, and then when Rick was all psyched out because he thought she was eating Judith. But then, you know, she tells him, you know, these are your people now. You're the HNIC. Go on. And, 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 you know, they're all, they're all looking up to you. And, and, and Rick's right. He's like, you know, we don't, I'm, they're baggage because we don't train them. We don't know them. And she's like, it, it doesn't matter. They all look at, they're looking for a leader now. So that's you. So she had, she had more to say in her final episode than she kind of has since yeah. they first introduced her last year. Right. You know what scene I, I want to see? And they could have done it this past week with Deanna. I want to see one of the group who is knocking on heaven's door they're they're either bit or they're they're bleeding out or you know they're they're approaching that that walking dead state and they defend whatever like they go up to to a zombie and just start fighting with the zombie and like killing you know killing just, just trying to, to to fend off whatever mm-hmm. and in the middle of it they turn 
That would be an oh, awesome scene. Yeah. Just stop what they're doing and and just drop your arms and just turn in the opposite oh, direction and walk away. Yeah. I think that would be a really cool scene. Yeah. And if they could have done that in the hallway. That would have been really right. neat. But she just shot right. and and screamed. Yeah. Dude, I had to laugh out loud today. Uh Jay Tomio on Twitter <laughs> responding to uh The Walking Dead said like how grounded and real The Walking Dead is. Of course, the Asian found the baddest girl during the midst of a zombie apocalypse. Priorities. <laughs> I just think that's hilarious. A- Asian power. That's right. Yeah, he's funny. Maggie is like in 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 the in the real world. Maggie would be like probably like an eight and a half. Like in zombie apocalypse, she's a dime piece in that zone. Yeah. Dude. What? She's she's a dime piece in the real world. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, no, she's super hot, but she's not a dime piece, though. No, no, no. The whole family was a dime piece. Even Herschel. No. <laughs> no, that little mousy blonde that y'all got sad when she got killed. I could Beth, Beth was, Beth was 11. Toss her to the curb. No. Mousy. Come on. Eat a sandwich. She could sing, though. Girl could sing. <laughs> she could sing she like sing, an angel. Just... <laughs> <laughs> sing us to sleep, Bethy. <laughs> Alright, let's talk about some comics here. What do you got? Who? Yeah, either. Uh, no, some... I'm not particular. Uh, I just, well, oh wait, wait. Did we all read Ringside Number One? Hell no. yeah. Oh, I, oh, I want to hear about it though, dude. You had one looked, job. Looked, you had one looked... job. <laughs> Instead of recording last night, one you should job. Read, AF reading Ringside Number One. Seriously, I didn't. I've read a lot of stuff, but it, one of them just wasn't Ringside Number you One. Slacking AF, dude. I just it I, was. Okay, when I tell you what I read, not the main thing, but the second thing, you're going to be like, okay, I can understand why okay, you're going to you know, number Jason, one. I read it there in the summer, but okay. So we – oh, good good one. Sick burn, bro. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to let Snake fight. I'm going to let Jason set up ringside number one. Uh, well, we are going to wait for next week for Vince because otherwise I – No, I, I, I want to hear about it now. Okay, good. Um, okay uh, I – can you refresh me as to the creative team? Because I don't, I deleted it from my. The uh, creative team is Mr. Joe Keating, mm-hmm. Mr. Nick Barber, right? Colors by Simon Gow and letters by Ariana Maher. There we go. Thank you. So the premise is essentially a old dude's a professional wrestler, been at it for a long time. Something's happened where he's on the outs with the main company, a la the WWE. He's out. He's on the outs with the old man, a.k.a. Vince McMahon. Um, and he's heading to – he's got a new gig, though. Some kind of – I think it was more like a training, like showrunner gig than an actual wrestling gig. He's not going to be in the ring. But he's got a new steady work, but he's heading there. Um, but he meets up with a friend, and he needs uh, he needs a favor – and it, it really is a setup issue for getting to know the main character and also setting up what's essentially a, uh, it turns out to be a bit of a crime, a crime story. Uh, but surrounded in the world of professional wrestling. And I really didn't know what to expect of this book. Um, I, I vaguely remembered the solicit, but as with any image book, I almost always give the first issue a try. And the fact that it had at least something tangentially to do with professional wrestling, and we knew it did from the cover art, and the solicitation art, I figured, you know, it would be worth giving a try. But I didn't really know it was going to be a crime book. Um, 
so I think a couple things. One, I think it was it was well paced. Um, I found the the characters, particularly the main character, uh, intriguing. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious to see what happens. And they, they they made me care about the guy, um, which is important. Um, artistically, I thought the book was a little spare. Um, it's a very simple, minimal line approach to the book. And I think if I'm comparing it to someone that, that our listeners would just know offhand, it would be Michael Avon Oming. But yeah. I, I think not as, th- how do I say this? Uh, if this, if I were Vince right now, I'd be able to say this so much more. Angular or chat. Yeah, like, like, what I'm really trying to say is that Oming isn't my favorite, but I give him a lot of props for his ability to use this few amount of, of, of lines that he uses and tell the story. Um, so like aesthetically, Oming's not my favorite, but I think he's a really accomplished cartoonist. I think this, this crew, like it was well, it was a well done story. It didn't, I think, I think the story was told well in terms of the panels tell the story they're trying to tell, but I didn't find the visuals all that impressive or memorable, uh, like in the aggregate. So, um, I, I, I guess what I'm saying is, is I really, I, the story was cool. Keating is becoming a hell of a great writer. Um, but artistically, I think the book is a little spare, a little un, un, uh, unmemorable. For my take. No, I, I, I can see it. There are some pages without the, um, without the, the heavy blacks, without the negative space, there are some lines, especially in some faces, especially in some expressions. It reminds me a little bit of Risa. Just, just the way the characters kind of carry themselves, but it's, it's way too colorful to even be anything like Eduardo Riso's work. Um, so I think the, the Oming connection is, is more apt. The, uh, I, like you, I didn't know really what to expect. It's called ringside, but it was, it was like ring outside. I mean, there, there, there was, except for a couple of scenes where Dan is having a conversation with someone while they're watching two dudes train in a ring and then we're kind of backstage at an event before two workers are on their way to the next house show. Um, there's not a lot going on. It's not, you know, th- this isn't the book where you're going to learn how to do a Canadian destroyer or tombstone pile driver. This is, th- th- these are just wrestling was the job that this guy did, whether, you know, it just could have been, a salesman or you know the, the the contractor this is just the the wrestling is it it's nice to get the uh somebody like like well, like you said you know he is he's pretty much in your quotes retired um which what happens with some guys when when they're um no longer marketable or able to bring the big company any money uh if they can't get a get a job with the indies, then they're kind of just doing other things. You know, they're, they're opening up car dealerships or something like that. So the, uh, the crime story was an interesting take on it. It was, it was kind of predictable, especially when he shows up at the bar and they go to walk outside. I was like, I kind of know where this is going. And, uh, but now you done fucked up because the dude, he's not somebody who looks like he's just going to, take some 
loan sharks word for it and keep walking. He's, uh, now, now, now you pissed him off. And the, the end of that, when, when you get to the end of the issue, that's kind of really where it, um, where it got its hooks in me. I enjoyed seeing, you know, the conversation between, uh, between Dan and the Al Snow looking dude and the young kid who, who's, uh, who's starting out. And, uh, it, I like that aspect of when, when everybody was kind of just having some downtime. But then, then after that, and Dan goes and hooks up with his old Marine buddy and, and, uh, and then ends up back at her house after he gets the shit kicked out of him. Um, you know, I, I want to see where, where it's going. There's enough here story-wise where, uh, I, I'm, I'm curious now, you know, there's, I want to see where it's going, how it, um, how much more we, uh, we touch on the wrestling aspect of it, whether, you know, we, we, we learn and, you know, it's not like, I don't think Joe Keating was ever, you know, a member of creative for any of the wrestling companies. You know, if you read the back matter, this is basically, you know, he, he grew, he, he watched wrestling while he was growing up. And, and like, you know, some of us kind of just faded away for a little bit and then came back at a certain time. And that, that seems to be the norm somewhat for, especially for, for some, some fans who were watching it again now and watched it when they were younger. Uh, so it, it, it very much kind of sinks to me in that way because if it's, um, it's somebody, it, it, it reads like something that I would, I'm familiar with. You know, if you read the dirt sheets, if you know, if, if, if you think you're a smart mark and you know, and, and you scoff at whatever the hell WWE's doing on a Monday night, when you think you could write it better and, and you know, you, you think it's the most ridiculous thing ever because they're the direction they're taking things in. I, I'm based on the current product that the WWE is putting out right now. I'm enjoying ringside because at least, um, it's, I'm of the same mind. It, it, it's, I'm not saying it's written for me, but I, I can appreciate it because I, I can see where, where Keating is kind of going for and where he's coming from and, 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 and the direction I think that, uh, that he's taking it in based on the main character's, uh, background. So I'm, 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 I'm cool with that. It, it, it just, I didn't know what to expect, but I, uh, I really don't have anything negative to say about it. I, like Jason though, I mean, as far as the art goes, that's, that's it, but it, it does the job, but, um, it, it can only get better from here, I think. Yeah. And you hit on something, uh, probably the most important thing, which is that this is for smart marks. Like it'll be interesting to see how this book resonates with, with people that aren't, uh, hardcore wrestling fans, because, uh, this jumps you right in. It uses terms of art that if you're not deep into the professional wrestling, uh, backstage type of stuff, I, I think it's, it's almost hard to follow some of the terminology. You, you need to know what the terminology is now. You and I know what the terminology is. So it made sense to us, but I, I did think a few times reading the issue, like, wow, you know, if, if, if someone that 
doesn't watch professional wrestling read this, I, I wonder if they'd be a little bit lost as to what the hell the guy's talking about. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. I mean, if, if you've been, if you like Joe Keating because you read Glory, you know, and then you follow him to this, there's right. not, yeah, there might be something missing. Right. But yeah, like I said, solid first effort. I mean, Keating's, I remember meeting Keating years ago, uh, at a New York, at a New York Comic Con with, uh, with Ron. We were back in the day, I remember it was one of the first ones. And I think Joe was working for Image at the time and had just won an Eisner for, um, editing that, uh, anthology book. Uh, the one with, the, uh, the one with, tattoo? uh, yeah, yeah, comic book tattoo. Thank you. And, um, you know, and then he left shortly, that, shortly after that to, to give it, you know, to give writing a try. And, um, I'm sure to him it seems like quite a long journey, but, uh, but it seems like to me in the blink of an eye, he's gotten to be, you know, quite accomplished and he's putting not a lot of really quality stuff across a lot of different genres right now. So I give him a lot of credit. Agreed. He does good stuff. He does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I like his books. Mm-hmm. Especially Glory. No doubt, son. That was great. What are you reading? I, what did I read? Yeah. Oy, I read a ton um, of stuff. But I want to usher in a new little, what I hope will be a re- reoccurring thing here. Oh, we, we, we stick, we stick with those, don't we? Well, this is good because it, I think it'll be very <laughs> so easy. So the previous to, thing, but I go on. No, it, it would be very easy to do this because this is something that I like to call comics should be ridiculous because they should. And that's, that's my definition of it. Why should comics be ridiculous? Because the medium is like so the potential in the medium is limitless right all you need is a really talented uh artistic type person uh, you only need one if they're if they're capable of both writing and uh it, convincingly illustrating this thing and the sky's the limit you can realize anything there's almost no budget a dude and a pencil or, or you know what i mean or, or uh, a pen and, a pen and maybe a brush and you can create Magic. Look what Jack did. Look what Wally Wood did, right? Uh, the, 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 the potential inherent within this art form is staggering, right? So that said, there should be nothing that's out of bounds. It, like DC and the Silver Age, comics should be ridiculous. You should not discount any kind of idea or concept as being harebrained because we want to see it. Dial H for Hero, most of that stuff is insane. But there's so much fun to read because for that very fact, they're, they're just off kilter. You don't see that anymore. And I, I think comics should be ridiculous. And, and I read a lot of ridiculous comics. I read some that were artistic masterpieces and I want to get to that later. But the ridiculous one was published in, uh, from December 1991 to April 1992. Now, this was a really hopping time for comics. Right, David? Yes. There was, um, a multitude of, of different concepts. Everybody was trying to cash in on the fumes that were still lingering from the black and white boom. Um, and, uh, this was a five issue series created and written now, you're going to get it as soon as I tell you who created and wrote this thing. By Mr. Brian Polito. Illustrated by Stephen Hughes. Uh-huh. This was published by Eternity. 
and it's called Evil, Evil Ernie, Ernie, Youth Gone Wild. I know David has. Jason, has you have you ever read any Evil Ernie? I have skimmed a few issues. Well, that does not bode well. <laughs> so uh, uh, the premise of this thing is really cool. And um, in a nutshell, you have a child, uh, Ernie. His name's Ernie Fairchild. That's pushing the uh, the metaphor a little bit. But um, he was mentally and physically abused by his parents. Right. Really bad. I mean, they would berate the kids, savagely smack them around. They even tied him to his bed at night to stop him from sleepwalking. So as you would expect, right, he becomes withdrawn, sullen, doesn't make friends easily, doesn't express emotion. And, and like his perceptions are seriously skewed. If your parents brutalize the hell out of you, how does that shade your 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 outlook on the world? It can't be good, right? So, so the parents feign concern. They bring him to a mental institution, uh, Clearview, um, under the purview of one iron-jawed Dr. Leonard Price. And from here on in, we will call him Dr. Price in honor to our very own Dr. Price. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when the series begins, there's a lot of history between Ernie and Dr. Price. Uh, the doctor believes Ernie's way too far gone for her rehabilitation. And he, like me and some of the characters on The Walking Dead, he claims that a bullet is the only thing that's going to cure this, this boy. Because there, that history, he once hooked Ernie up to this experimental dream probe machine and it was supposed to cure him. But instead... What it did was it created uh, uh, an even bigger menace, uh, a, a psychotic killing machine. So he's he's under the – Ernie's under the effects of this device, right? And and he's in this magical dreamland, which is really a cemetery because he doesn't like um, anyone living. Uh, and who does he meet but Lady Death? Yes. Late, this, that's the part that boggles my mind, that Lady Death – was a secondary character in an evil learning miniseries, right? L- Lady Death hates the living. Hates them. So, by proxy, so does Ernie, because, um, Lady Death kills Ernie's parents in the dream world, just gets her scythe and just rips them apart. So, like, naturally, Ernie falls in love with her, and to please her, in the real world, he kills his family one morning at breakfast and walks out the door and walks down the block, and continues his rampage all the way down. And eventually, he kills like 35 people and becomes the country's youngest um, and, and most prolific serial killer. So cut to the present again. We have another doctor. This one's naive, and she's a woman. And her name is Dr. Mary Young. And she believes she can do Ernie a solid. She can cure him. She's got a machine that can do the kid some good. It's another experimental dream probe, as if the first one, you know, wasn't bad enough. You got another one, and this is called Neurotech. And Dr. Price ain't having it. He does not want You are not putting that kid on another machine. It ain't going to happen. It happens. And um, Ernie goes under, and while he's under, Lady Death gives him a big old kiss. In addition to swapping spit, she relinquishes a little bit of her power. Like, Lady Death is pretty damn powerful. So the experiment goes south, the machine explodes, and Ernie is killed, supposedly. So while his corpse is on the gurney, you always have the, 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 
the nurse with the heart of gold, and in this mm-hmm. case, it was nur- Nurse Goodwill, and and she was going to give him a smiley pin when the procedure worked. She had a little smiley pin all saved for him, so she pins the smiley pin onto his his uh, onto onto him, and that's the this where the smiley button right. comes from, the psychotic smiley button. Uh, Ernie springs to life, and by this time, there's he's not even a whole body, like from you know the chest down he's all ribs and spinal column and like most of him is gone and he's all desiccated his face is all stretched his mouth isn't possibly wide but he's got the wild rock and roll hair and the leather jacket ernie rips her head off (laughs) and and launches into a killing spree again um and this is the part one of my favorite things about the book was and polito even fesses up to it in the the introduction to the special edition one of his influences for this story was George Romero and Night of the Living nice. Dead. So the people that Ernie kill, and he, and Polito uses this exact line from Night of the Living Dead. The people that he kill get up and kill. That's right from the movie, right? And, um, uh, Mary's family is in the comic and eventually they find themselves backs to the wall in this building with the windows all boarded up and it looks exactly, well not exactly, but it looks, it's very reminiscent to the, the, the cottage in Night of the Living Dead. It, it's a whole bunch of great fun, right? It's mass carnage, bloodshed. Uh, Dr. Price, so you have this person that's in, in charge of a mental institution. He's a doctor. He's learned. He has gone through God knows how many years of schooling to get where he is but he goes on he goes full-on cable by the end of the series he even looks like cable he's got this huge jaw like like bruce campbell on on steroids gigantic jaw and he's he's the typical visually he looks like the a military man like like one of one of the elite he's gigantic and by the end of the thing he's pulling like high caliber ordnance out of his ass to to just blow away all the people earning where did he get them who cares right got to blow up the living dead and you need big guns and so dr price has them and even dr young she starts off real meek and her hair's all nice and flowing she looks like linda carter at one point right by the end of the series she's all laura croft she's chopping zombies blowing them up grenades like everything it's silly but it's a ton of fun that's in my estimation that's how comics should be right a button a little smiley face button that eventually talks, not in this series, but it does eventually. And, and it, it's silly. Like how, what was it? Was it Lady Death's, you know, evil energy that made the button animate? Like, it, uh, who cares? It's, a, it's a smiley face button that, that talks. Um, and, but here's the, here's the part that, you know, there's a sadness to this too. Um, it, it, like I said, it's, it's kind of amazing to me. That Lady Death, a character that over the years has shown to have really long legs. How many different publishing companies took a stab at Lady Death? You had, well, Eternity, right? Chaos, CrossGen, Avatar, Boundless. I mean, the character refuses to go away. Multiple. I, I, I know, I can't even count how many times she's crossed over with different characters. Vampirella, like it, it, the, the list is seemingly endless, right? And she started off as a secondary character in an, an evil Ernie miniseries. It just was like Brian Polito does not get enough credit. Evil Ernie's a cool character. 
Legendary? I don't know. I mean, he's fun. But Lady Death, that's a cool character. Yeah, Evil Ernie to me is, that's when I think of the characters. You can think of the characters from different eras, from different decades. And when I think of 90s characters, Evil Ernie is definitely on that oh, list. Yeah. But is he, is, does he exist beyond that? Not really for me. All right. Well, they, they, I mean, I think Dynamite took a stab at reviving Evil Ernie. Like, I think but it was either me, this year or it, last. A lot of it had to do, though, with, I mean, when, when Stephen Hughes passed away, a lot of what... There's the sadness part. Yeah. So it's, yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, it's not like anybody else that took a stab at Ernie didn't do a good job. But what I remember about Evil Ernie was Brian and Steve bringing that character to life, but intended. And, and that's, it was just Hughes's art kind of just made it work for me. Oh, he's, he's, he was amazing, yeah. amazing talent. There, you could see traces of Michael Golden in his work. Yeah. Um, and, and for my money, I think he works best in black and white. Like the, the, the sequel to this, the resurrection was printed in color and it just doesn't, it doesn't, it was that garish nineties coloring. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they like, like Dark Knight 2 spoofed, that's the word, they spoofed it. Um, the color is like eye searing. Just, just because they had the, the ability to use all those colors and use a fifth ink and sixth ink and just go crazy with the chroma, they did, right? But they didn't have to. But, um, as David said, Stephen Hughes succumbed to cancer in, in 2000. The guy was only 46 years old. Oh, man. Yeah. And it's a damn shame. I'm, I adore his work. And, and for, for my money, no one in all the years and all the people that have laid hands on Lady Death, no one has rendered Lady Death as successfully convincingly with, with such menace and sexuality and just, a plum as Stephen Hughes. The, Lady Death is his character. Right. And it, it's just amazing, uh, when you look at his work and I'm glad we have it to, to, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that somewhere, wherever Stephen Hughes is now, that, you know, he's privy to us actually talking about his work and, 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 you know, at least being happy that there's people that, that are enjoying the product of his labor. I think his work's incredible. I, and, I go back to Evil Ernie every so often. This is one of those times. And it never ceases to give me, you know, mucho enjoyment. It's just, it's, it's silly. It's, it's carnage, but there's something, there's an honest love for comics in this thing that Brian Polito has. And, and, you know, in the big old pantheon of great comic book creators, does Brian Polito rank up there with Alan Moore? Not really, mm-hmm. right? But he has given us something. He's given us enjoyment. So I, I, I revel in the guy's work as much as I do in, as Alan Moore's work, but for different reasons, right? So I don't like to, I'm not trying to judge anybody. I, I really like Brian Polito and Stephen Hughes's work. So if you have not checked this out, do so. Um, unfortunately, you got to find a, a collection because you can get, the majority of all the Evil Ernie comics, dirt cheap, buck a piece, except for this miniseries, because this was the first. Yeah. These things go for, like, gem mint, you would probably pay 150 to 200 an issue. Nice. 
Seriously. And I know, I mean, I don't have them, but I have the, the, um, actually I have a second printing of the collected edition because I didn't get on the evil early, what did we, I didn't get on the evil Ernie bandwagon until a little too late. It was, it was like midway through. Mm-hmm. So I, I had to go back and buy what I could. And back in the day, this miniseries was stupidly priced too, not $200 an issue, but still far beyond what I wanted to pay for it. But, uh, so yeah. I, I just and comics should be ridiculous, right, David? Right, right, Jace? You are. I absolutely. They so. should be everything that other mediums can't be, right? Yep. You can you can have a two billion dollar budget to make a comic. You know what I mean? Like it could be the most crazy, insane special effect in your imagine. You know, possible. Yep. Um, and I gotta say, I don't give DC many props. It's true, you don't. Of of late, but. For, for for ridiculousness, Silver Age DC, you can't beat it. There, there's a magic to Silver Age DC. Marvel had them s- slaughtered during the Bronze Age. But Silver Age DC, there was... Well, you know, I shouldn't really say that because Silver Age Marvel is pretty good too. But for other reasons. But for ridiculousness, Silver Age DC is the way to go. Batman was insane. Superman was nuts in the Silver Age. Yeah. yeah. And then Neil Adams came along. And kind of, hmm. kind of ruined both of them. But it all you know, you'll, you'll have that. Yep. What y'all got? Um, I have mentioned this book before, as and Dap as as well. Um, but the trade recently came out, and I got caught up on it. And uh, boy, am I glad I did. Uh, so talking about the descent descender. Um, Ooh. Written by uh, our buddy Jeff Lemire, uh, with amazing, amazing art by Dustin Nguyen. And as I said, we've talked about this book before, so I don't want to be redundant. But uh, after a few issues, we we chatted it up and said how much we were enjoying it. Essentially, uh, you've got a, a group of planets that are tied together um, for a long time, and uh, in the future. Something happens where they're essentially a relatively idyllic society and giant celestial type sized planet sized robots show up that they call, call the harvesters. And these robots lay waste to the planets, essentially killing hundreds of millions of people, which then prompts, then they disappear. They, they, they lay waste for a while, can't be stopped, then they disappear. Um, what's remaining of society is, is then prompted to, uh, push back against all things robotic and they essentially purge robots from, from their existence. Um, and by this point there are robots everywhere, not just in terms of robotic systems, but there are literally Android esque robots doing all sorts of tasks and, uh, as, as, as friends of, of children and as nannies and as living. So, so it's a pretty massive endeavor to wipe out all of robots and they, but they do this. And so then we fast forward to 10 years later and, um, a far-flung mining planet has had an accident, a gas leak, essentially, which kills everybody on the planet. And in the process, uh, a little boy robot named Tim21 gets activated from his sleep uh, process. He was he was uh, put to sleep by his mom every night, his, his human mom. Um, and so, but but it's been ten years because she died, so he never woke him up. He comes to, and as it turns out, he is the last known. Uh, high level robot in, in the, in the system. They thought they were wiped out. And so when he activates himself and plugs into the system, 
The UGC, the Galactic Council, gets wind of this. They're not liking it, and they say, we got to go get this dude and get Tim 21 and study him because they're worried about the Harvesters coming back. It's been 10 years. They go in, and the team put in charge of it goes in and recruits a doctor by the name of Quan, who was the father of robotics. He's the one that basically was 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 at the forefront of making the robotics revolution in the first place about 15 years ago. But at this point in time, he's uh, he's essentially living a reclusive life because after the pushback, understandably, of, of, of all the robotics, the, the father of robotics isn't a very beloved person. So he's been living in essentially exile. She comes to get him because, as it turns out, uh, he was the inventor of the of, of many of the robots that existed, but but one of the types was the Tim series, which were a young looking boy, human looking boy robots that were meant to uh, assimilate into families and be um, great friends to the children as well as peacekeepers and caretakers and all that sort of thing. Um, so they say you got to come with us because there's a Tim uh, activated, and we need we need to go and get him and study him. And as it turns out, um, these 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 harvesters were unstoppable, but but. Uh, in their efforts to understand what happened and prevent it, they, they get to the point where they, uh, they recognize that there's something called a codex, which is in essence the DNA of a robot. And they, the hope is that at some time they'll be able to figure out the codex of these harvesters to try and get a clue as to where they're from, what they're about, so that if they ever come back, how they might stop them. And now that, like I said, 10 years later, they've cracked the codex. And as it turns out, the Tim robots that were created by Dr. Kwan, have the same core codex as these harvester robots. Now, how is that possible? Because they came 10 years before and all this sort of thing. That That's the mystery of the first arc. So they head to the planet. In the meantime, concurrent with all that, we're getting introduced to Tim, who's regaining consciousness, regaining his memories. Uh, we are introduced to a little, little dog robot that's his companion. We're introduced to a driller who's kind of a big, dumb uh, th- uh, like he's like the muscle, you know, he's, 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 a, he's, he doesn't have very complex thought processes, but he's, he's, uh, aggressive and he's, he hates humans and he's sort of the protector. Uh, and, and they all get activated, uh, simultaneously and see that all the humans are dead. And before the, before the UGC, the council scientific and retrieval team can get to the planet, a bunch of, um, essentially bounty hunters, uh, scavengers, are show up and those guys job has been over the last 10 years to wipe out robots for money. So for some reason they're made aware of this robot turning back on and they come and they show up to get him and basically bring him back to uh, a home planet where uh, they're going to get paid for him. And so of course the art Tim and his crew are avoiding them, getting into a conflict, things happen. Um, then the scientific team shows up and things happen. And there's a big, there's, there's a, a big set to between the three groups. Um, doesn't go well for anybody really. Um, and so in a lot of ways it was fun to read this now because it's very, very in the same vein as the star Wars type of universe. Uh, it's the same kind of setting, you know, there's, there's humans, but there, there, there's also other types of humanoid creatures. There's a, it's a galactic council that's of loose planets that have some federate, some affiliation, but there's tension amongst them. There's a group of rebels, so it's, 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 there are some similar overtones to the Star Wars, so it's, it's, it's timely to be reading it now. Um, but the last two issues of the six issue arc are where it really starts to become Lemire-esque, meaning we really start to see the excellent writer that is Jeff Lemire 
take this from what was a really enjoyable sci-fi epic yarn, action-packed yarn, into something much more. And I don't want to spoil those parts, but I will say that um, we see big reveals about the past, including uh, an epiphany from Dr. Kwan about what he really does truly know about the Harvesters, what their connection might be to Tim 21, and whether there's other things out there that are connected to them and, and th- that are powers greater than all of us. Um, we get revelations as to the leader of this extraction team and her connection to the council and her own motivations. Um, we also get wind of the tension growing between the main planet in the system and there, which is a, a monarchy based, a royal, a royal based system. And they're essentially have broken off from the UGC and they're setting up essentially uh, it looks like they're maybe setting up a their own type of of, of rebellion type of a situation, um, and their connections to the robots and they're very xenophobic. And underlying all of this awesome sci-fi with this amazing Dustin Wynn art and, and really the character creation is just off the charts. Like, I mean, dude is is just unbridled with the creation of both all these different alien species and the types of bounty hunters that we see. I mean, just huge, crazy-looking creatures with. All different, all for different types of, of biomechanical uh, appendages and that sort of thing. Um, but what's underlying it all, very subtly, is a political undertone about xenophobia, about prejudice, about uh, misjudging entire groups of people based on the extreme actions of a subset of these people. Which, I mean, talk about timely, right? I mean... I mean, we're, we're in that right now, right? Like we're living that right now, both here in our own country, what's going on of late, including what happened today, but also what's going on abroad, right? With, 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 with Daesh and all that stuff, like, you know, and what's happening here in terms of our, a lot of our own people's reactions to, you know, including some of our own politicians about like, oh, you know, all Muslims, you know, you know, you know what I'm getting. I don't want to get too political here, but you know what I'm getting at. And so it's just, I just think it's a masterfully put together series that Lemire is from a from a structure standpoint not surprising because he's done a number of very long running full series at this point and done them all flawlessly. But this is another one of them, and it's just it's just the perfect mix for me of the fantastical to your point, Vince. Like stuff should be crazy, stuff should be wild, and 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 we should be seeing stuff on the comics page that we can't see anywhere else. We have that, and that's thanks True. to Dustin Nguyen. But at the same time. There's a heart to these characters. Like, why I should give a shit about a little android boy? I shouldn't, but I do. Why I should give a shit about a dumb drilling robot? I shouldn't, but I do. You know? Um, and so there's heart. There's great pacing, phenomenal art, an awesome backdrop. And now, with what happens in the second to last, the penultimate and the ultimate issues of this arc, especially with the cliffhanger in issue six, just an amazing what the fuck moment that tells you there's so much more to the story. So man, I'm just, I'm just loving it. I just, I don't know how long this is supposed to go. I think sales have been pretty good. I get the sense it's going to be a relatively long running series, probably, you know, 50, 60, 70 issues, but I could be wrong there. So if I'm wrong, if, if anyone knows, tell me, but, but, uh, just off the charts, man. I mean, this is definitely, um, it read really well in trade. Like I reread the whole thing for start uh, this week. I just started back over cause I got the trade and double dipped. And, uh, it's a great way to do it because I think it's a, it's a fairly complex, there's a lot of layers to it. Yeah. So I found reading the 140 pages or so all at one sitting, um, it's much more cogent in my mind than even when I was trying to describe the first ep- issue or two when we first talked about it. So I would recommend maybe doing the trade route, 
but man, oh man, it's, uh, it's, it's right up there for me for, for best, best new series of the year. It's, it's phenomenal. And, and you need, I think you need something like a collection, like the trade to take in that art because that art is not something Dustin's art isn't anything you need to gloss over. You you, you don't just right. read the word balloons and turn the page and continue the story, take in the panels and keep moving. It needs that that you gotta soak that in. It's just it is it's a beautiful looking book. And I and sadly I am I am a couple issues behind, but it is it's when I do sit down to read it, I always kick myself because I'm like, why why did I wait? Why why did Yeah, no I, doubt. Oh, no I read doubt. It came out. So yeah, it's I second everything you said. Isn't it supposed to be a, a movie or a TV I show? I believe, right? Oh, dude, yeah, nice. I, I think I think you're right. Um, hold on one second. Um, Peek behind the curtain. Do, 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 do. Sony. Nice. Uh, no yeah, movie. Movie adaptations. Excellent. Yeah. So virtual. good for him. Mm-hmm. Good for them. Good for them. Yeah. So, anybody have anything else? I should help. I sure as I hope so. Because uh, I got some, I got something else. I'll, um, I read. Hey. All new Wolverine number one and two. My man. <laughs> David Price. This is written by Tom Taylor, who I believe. Oh, it's a big sigh. The recent, uh, where? From who? From me? You. Yeah, it looked like you were, you were like gearing up for it. No, there's, to, like, there's. Down. No, no, I, um, I, I have one major issue with it, and that's nothing new with this character. But uh, so it's written by Tom Taylor, who I believe wrote the recent pre-Secret Wars Iron Man book. If I'm unless I'm mistaken, but I believe that, that that's who was a writer with um, Yildirim on art. Art is by David Lopez and David Navarrete, and uh, colors by Nathan Fairbairn and uh, Fairbairn, and uh, letters by Corey Peden, who. I was a big fan of when they relaunched the, um, well, not when they relaunched it, but with, uh, Brand New Day. I was, I always just liked, uh, Corey's letters on Amazing Spider-Man before it, um, the, uh, the head honcho for the, um, that studio took over the lettering. But anyway, uh, I enjoy the art. I thought the, um, because I wasn't reading Wolverines or, or whatever, was the Wolverine title after Death of Wolverine. Um, I just figured I would give this a shot. Just give it a quick little, um, see if there's anything to it because I was digging Laura in, uh, all new X-Men by Bendis and, uh, and her, um, relationship with Angel. And, uh, I figured, oh, why not? It's, um, you know, I think I'm well long past the, the X-23 days where, um, she's the clone of Logan and it's, I'm just, I'm going in pretty much blind. I'm just, I have nothing, really no baggage except from, uh, all new X-Men since this is supposed to be a whole new world now after Secret Wars. So, um, the art is solid. There, the, the reveal in the first issue was somewhat predictable. I saw it coming. It's still, it, it was a pretty cool moment because when you read the second issue, um, things are explained in greater detail. Uh, and the second issue had a pretty cool last page. Um, but I, st- it's, and it was only one panel and it, and it 
that I saw in the second issue. I don't know if it was in the third issue where um, she had her hand open with the claws out, but I'm still, it, it's, it's that foot claw still just, it, it makes no fucking sense. That that's the one thing that I really just cannot close my eyes to about this character. It, you, you expect me to just, there's so much shit that I'm supposed to just take at face value. And I, I can believe anything that goes on in the Marvel universe, but when you're, you're showing me, Within this one, you show me the biology, the physiology, whatever, the anatomy of one particular character, and then you're just going to go and, and throw all of that out the window when you get to the foot. It just, it makes no sense to me. And, and luckily there isn't, except in the, um, really it only comes into play in the first issue. It shows up again in the second, but at least it's not like, you know, she's running around just stabbing people with her feet. It, it's mostly Eight just her claws. So I, funny. Dude, it, dude it's... anytime I want to talk about Laura, I, I, I cringe because I know you're going to, you're going to rant on the foot claws. <laughs> I, I, I'll try not to, but it's just, it's how, how does it work? It, dude, it, we just got done talking about e-learning. How does anything work? But okay. If, <laughs> if it's, if he, dude has a point. I, which is what I'm saying, but, but then they break their own fucking rules because if your foot, if your foot bends, you know, you stand on your tiptoes, you got the rest of your foot. Where's the claw? Where's the foot? It's like, so it just disappears. It's, it's just, it doesn't exist. It only comes out when it needs to. It's not even in the well, boot. I, I will tell you this. I, I, Maybe it's like an erection. We've, we've, I'll, we've I'll debated put. this before. I will say that I'm with you in that I think it's silly. Like, Putting aside that she's supposed to be a clone of Wolverine and she's a woman, uh, a female, like if she's a clone of Wolverine, but they mix the chromosome, I get it. But then why would that lead to a claw on the foot? Right. Like she should have the exact same anatomy that Wolverine has, exactly. except for a vagine Ew. instead of a, a she, penis. Chicks of dicks. Nice. nice. There yeah. you go. Hey, man. <laughs> Transgender. So the, the, I thought the story was pretty <laughs> neat. It's, uh, you know, she's, um, she's basically just trying to uphold the good that uh Logan instilled in her and, and and there's some nice uh conversations she has with Logan. Um I, I I dug it again. I'm not I don't um I didn't read X twenty three, I didn't read uh much NYX. I didn't read NYX. So it's I, I don't know much about the character to begin with. So I mean Earl dude. I I just hey more power to you. The uh the I can't read this and say, okay, you know, Tom Taylor is doing the character, you know, no, he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. This is, I don't know if he's got her voice down. I'll, I'll leave that up to you. I, I just, I thought the, the whole story of it with the, um, with who these, uh, who these murdering psychos are, uh, I thought that was pretty neat. It, it was, it, cause it's not something you'd really see. Too often in a, uh, in a superhero comic. And, and in the second issue, I mean, there was, there was quite a bit of talking because there was a, a hostage situation and it was just, you know, a conversation going on between, uh, four characters. It was, um, but then they ramped up the action towards the end of the issue. It, it, with these two issues, I, I dug it. I'm looking forward to the third now, especially with the end of the second issue. So nice. Uh, you I dig a uh, young angel being a part of it. Yeah. But what is up with, uh, What's up with the wings? What did I miss? Oh, that happened at the end of the X-Men run. The all new... Okay, so I read... Yeah. I caught up on Uncanny. I did not yet finish all the mm-hmm. new X-Men. So, okay, I'll do that. Yeah. All right. But no, I mean... Well, I'm glad you didn't hate it, boo. 
No, I did. I I did not hate it. I thought I thought the art was uh was pretty fitting. It it just you know she she looks good. She looks like a fighter. She's a scrapper. It it, it didn't make yeah. her up like the old um uh Choi covers where you know she just looked all frail and fragile and just had a mean face. It just it it she um I I, I and and she's she's not uh you know she's not like just some mindless killer she's you know she, she's thinking things through and and there's uh there's they're not taylor isn't hitting you over the head with a lot of uh a lot of character information you know it, it, you're not reading the ohatma as you're reading the issue you know you're kind of at least for me i'm experiencing this world with the character and and i i'm able to catch on and and uh and figure things out with her so um kudos for that but no i i would uh i'd I'd give it a shot if you're and i i am anybody next to me would be a um a bigger x23 fan so i know that they Mm -hmm. would get something something cool out of it but i would i would give it a shot yeah like i said the other week it's to me it's a very fitting and uh and and relieving in a way um spiritual successor to to Wolverine if i can't get logan then yeah and uh like i was really worried we were going to get the ultimate x wolverine is the new wolverine post secret wars and oh, i really uh, wasn't feeling that very much the young blonde guy hudson yeah yeah i just wasn't going to be feeling that so i'd much prefer it this way um which is to say That's nothing you- by the way the fact that i guess are we going to just gloss over the fact that Secret Wars 9 is now coming out in January. Guess what? It's, it's now two weeks delayed. I mean, yes, it's still January. It's still delayed. It's still it's still the issue that nobody was asking for because we didn't expect it because we thought it was an eight-issue miniseries. Yes, things are running late. Things are delayed. Um, but it's... I'm not... I'm not happy about it. There's... But it will just still be one one creative team working on it from start to finish. They could, they could scramble, they could fill it in, they could do other things. Um, they could have had a tighter rein on it, but it's not like Marvel's not the only people suffering from, from Hickman's lack of output. So it's, I don't, I don't know if this was the only yeah, thing. What's going on with right? I don't, I would, I would love to get to the bottom of this. Story. I mean, we, you know, we, we had him on. Yeah. And, uh, that was it. That was it. He, it <laughs> we was. didn't have him on. We, Everything would be fine. And dude was was mad, like clear that like he didn't want to be a guy that like he specifically talked about not wanting to be a guy that like didn't get this done. You know, like right. And I mean, like even like because because when they announced that Assad was going to be the artist, there was a lot of like, like all like all this is never you know a lot of jokes, a lot of snide remarks about how it was never going to come out on time. And Jonathan seemed hell bent on that not happening. So. And I, I'm with you, David. I, I don't, I don't profess to actually know what's going on here. So this isn't some stealth behind the scenes wink wink to our listeners, but I, I don't think we can blame Assad because, right. like you said, there's plenty of other Hickman product that's not hitting the shelves. So I don't know if he's got personal things going on, if he's maybe caught up in a, a movie TV type of thing. Although again, that didn't seem to be his deal. So I, I don't know. It's bizarre. It is. Hmm. You mentioned Ultimate X. Mm hmm. <laughs> for a, for a gorgeous series, um, art by Mr. Art Adams. Well, part of it, yeah. Yeah, why did that just evaporate? It was terrible. 
the visuals weren't terrible. The visuals were amazing. Well, but see, and, it's like and, you know what it's like, dude. Like I'm not gonna blow, I'm not gonna blow anybody up, but as you know, I look at a lot of original art. I like to buy the art, and I can't tell you how often there are artists that I just love their art and would love to buy their stuff, but they're just drawing stuff I don't give two shits about. And again, so I'm not going to name names because you know that's just personal taste or whatever. It's not a condemnation of the art; it's just it's just condemnation of the fact that I don't care about what they're drawing. And I just think the same with Art Adams, dude. Like of all the things Art Adams ever drawn, like the thing I'd least want to own is a page from Ultimate X. I mean that, like uh-huh. Monkey Man I, O'Brien I, for sure. Yeah. Gumby those, for show. Those fucking you know? New Mutants annuals. Of course. Well, oh, those are yeah, dude. I mean, I mean, all the annuals, the you know, long My shot. I mean, but literally, if you're yeah. if you're like the the covers he was doing for Classic Avengers, oh hell yeah. But Ultimate X, dude, like nah, son. I would buy a page if I had the scratch of. Art Adams drawing shoes, nothing but shoes, or or you know like rolls of whatever, whatever he wanted Dude, to draw. I just think an art director now. You got the scratch. That's what it is. That's what it is. I got another book. Got well, of course speak, you do. Speak, speaking of art, Lady Death. Um, no, we we that's next week. <laughs> we have talked about Lady Death many times yes. on here. Um, we talked about the first issue of this miniseries when it came out. And um, as the back of this unnecessary dust jacket that says um, a tale two decades in the making, this thing seemed to take as long to be published, this miniseries. Um, but I, I recently uh, received the hardcover collection, which, which as you, you know, the name implies, groups all of the issues into one book. So I read it in one sitting and uh now this just may be the author talking the talk because you know you got to do those things when you got a new book out but the author of this book calls it the best sequential art he has ever seen i don't know if i'd go that far but i will say it is without question the most beautiful book published in 2015 um and in terms of style you have, uh, well, there are multiple styles in this book, oftentimes on the same page. You have traditional pen and ink, uh, comic book illustration mixed with, uh, painterly techniques, whether they're acrylic or oils or digital. You have Victorian styled illustration butted up against, um, like Silver Age, uh, and, and Bronze Age type, um, you know, very, very bulky, very gritty and, and, and just, just, uh, a multitude of, of, of very energetic and, and lively marks. And then on, on, on the facing page, you have illustrative styles like a, a, a mastery of architecture. Um, there, there are gothic romance type illustration in here juxtaposed with op art and pop art and um some of the 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 best character design i've seen in a long time and and these are just like characters that are that are brief asides you have uh fantasy uh, and science fiction and, and and a tip of the hat to mobius on some of these pages and um I mean, it goes on and on. There, there are black and white illustrations. There, there's high tech science fiction cityscapes and, and, and cosmoscapes. Um, 
it boggles the mind how one man with the assistance of a, another gentleman known for his, his color art could have produced. There, there are illustrations in here that are very reminiscent of Alex Nino. And on the same page, you get beautiful Peter Max type, um, meanderings with, with shape and color. Uh, the, the book is, is a kinetic, uh, tour de force because some pages you actually have to turn to to read successfully and it for for good reason because it ushers you into a place that the creative team wanted wanted you to be you probably know it already i'm talking about um this is a virtuoso performance and rightly so because the title of this thing is called overture and it's it's sandman overture by neil gaiman J.H. Williams III and Dave Stewart. And we got a little bit of an inkling as to where it was going with the first issue. But when you consume this thing as a whole, it, it takes your breath away. The, the, the level of accomplishment in this book. I mean, it's hard to believe that all this work was actually created by a human being with the assistance of another human being. It's otherworldly, and isn't that appropriate for a book with the Lord of Dreams, right? It's it's in the artwork in this book is insane, just completely mesmerizing. You have you guys read the entire thing? Nope. No, man, I I, I tapped out after that first issue, the late second, and waited uh, for the hardcover to come out. Oh my god, uh, um, I'm in awe of 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 the, what these the the creative team has has produced um there's mc escher like um architectural like shenanigans going on and and uh it, there's a, a a ton of interviews in the back of this thing with the creative uh everyone on the creative team from the letterer to jh williams to you know uh gaiman himself and williams says you know i suck at uh math so i didn't want to try and pull off a full-on mc escher because i couldn't do it so he just devised um what he called like a shortcut to to circumvent his 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 uh failure with numbers and if this is his idea of a sort a shortcut dude i would hate to see if you tried to 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 tackle it full-on because it's amazing um architecture is hard uh figure rendering is hard painterly um you know the knack for 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 color um harmony and discord and just just mark making with a brush is hard and it's all done in this book by one man and dave stewart um like to a degree where you almost never see it's incredible it really is and the, the, the the story is pretty simple which is almost a good thing because I think if the story were overly complex, it would fight with the art because the reader would try, you know, trying to grasp what's going on here. And, and the art I think would be not overlooked, but it, it wouldn't take center stage like it is here, but I'm not, I'm not, I want to shortchange the story. The story is pretty cool. Um, Morpheus, an aspect of Morpheus, uh, because in this book, he's sliced up into many different aspects, not physically sliced up. You know what I mean? He's there. There are 
depending on where you are in the universe, there is um, an aspect of Morpheus. And on this one planet, Morpheus takes the form of a plant. And he he um, encounters another plant and there's a dialogue and there's something that happens and Morpheus is killed. The, the Lord of Dreams, Lord Shaper. And you'll find out what, there's another wrinkle into that name, why he's called Lord Shaper at the end of this book. Um, uh, he's, he's killed and it doesn't sit well with Morpheus or, or death or any, any of the endless that one of, one of their own has been killed and you find out why. It's because Morpheus failed to do something. I'm not going to say what, but, but some, he, he didn't, he didn't dispose of something when he had the chance, so his lack of action has now come back to not only bite him on the ass, but the entire universe as well. This is big. This is like crisis level gloom and doom. Everything could end by the end of this book. That, that's how big it is. And the scope of, of something like that is well within the means of J.H. Williams to illustrate. It's, it's crazy that he, and Neil Gaiman says it in the, in the back of the book. I threw everything I could at J.H. Williams, uh, and stuff I did not conceive my wildest dreams that he would be able to illustrate and he brought it to life flawlessly. And, and that's exactly my opinion. I mean, this book from the story to the lettering to the artwork, the book is flat out flawless. I, I do not have even one there's not one line in this thing that I would criticize as being out of place. This the, this book makes Williams's Batwoman stuff look like he was wearing training wheels, and you know you've seen that stuff. It's it's incredible. This is like light speed. It's it's, it's quantum leap. It's amazing. Like how, where does he go from here? How do you how do you not only you know I I, I can't even conceive of him topping this, but how do you? How do you do something on an even keel with this? It, it, I, I would think it would be like fruitless to even try. It's it's amazing. I I could go on for another hour and and just extol the virtues of of his art and this book, and I probably wouldn't even scratch the surface of just what um the magnitude of this book. It's it's incomparable. It's amazing. I want you guys to read it and just say like, holy crap. Oh no doubt it's, it's on the list of of to read in the near future. And I have a problem with Gaiman here and there, um, especially the wake. I did not like the way Sandman ended. Mm-hmm. And, and there are instances in this book throughout the, the entire narrative that tie into various parts of this entire Sandman series as a whole. Like the book itself ends with the first page of Sandman number one. It, it directly segs into the first issue of Sandman number one. That in itself is cool, but Morpheus during the story, um, he stops to, as, I mean, he's the Lord of Dreams. He briefly stops to tell stories, right? Mm-hmm. That he weaves these, these dreamlike stories and the stories tie into Sandman series. Um, the artistic styles are different for the stories. It's, it's, it's insane. How, how amazingly, um, it's a virtuoso performance. It really is. 
Um, and like I said, I like to, to knock DC once in a while, but flat out the most beautiful book published this year. There's nothing that compares. So if you, you don't like spoilers, I just spoiled something for my 11 o'clockers. There's nothing that competes with this. Wow. No, nothing. Speaking of the 11 o'clockers. Woot woot segue. Uh, it is December 2nd. We haven't a set, we never, we haven't officially set the date that we'll do the 11 o'clockers, but for new listeners out there, uh, I guess every show is somebody's first show. Uh, the 11 o'clockers is our annual, uh, awards show where we recognize our personal choices for our favorite things, uh, in a myriad of categories. And in most years, excluding last year when I dropped the ball, uh, we also have a very engaged, um, process whereby the listenership and our community can weigh in as well and cast their votes. And thanks to the powers of the Google Forms, uh, we're back in business this year and have had for some time uh, an online open form um, where the link is posted uh, on a sticky thread in our Facebook uh, page as well as our forums uh, where you can go and vote um, for all the categories. You can vote for one category, you can vote for some, you can vote for all of them, whatever you want to. Um, and we'll be doing those awards at some point in January, probably toward the end, I'm guessing, just the way things usually work out. But uh, please do um, go ahead and use the process. We also, if you uh, can't find the link, you can always hit us up on the Twitters or the Facebooks or whatever, and uh, we'll give you the link directly. Um, and, uh, yeah, we if, if, if my man Vince comes through with something, we should have an... Epically larger number of vo- voters than we've ever had before. Your man will come through. I'll get it done nice. uh, ASAP. Word up. Which probably means Saturday afternoon. Awesome. Is that good? Yeah, we just got to get it to uh, our, our secret well, partner in this endeavor uh, in time such that it can be put into the monthly orders. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> As if anyone... Doesn't know what the secret partner is. <laughs> <laughs> You're teaming up with a pharmacy? That's right. What? Yeah, really. that's right. Merck Medco. We got a partnership with Merck Medco. <laughs> Dap. All right. No, you're not cutting us off yet, Mister. I wanted to talk last night. You're not. You're not ending the show before eleven. It's not happening, dude. Eleven. Okay. Yeah. Oh my god, it's not even eleven no, o'clock. That's what cool, I'm saying, dude. All right, good. Dap. I read Yo. the uh, the Moon Girl and the Devil Dinosaur. Yeah. What'd you think? I dug it. Yeah. I dug it, man. I, I, um, I have to say, like, and I can already hear the groans because people are like, oh, you guys are such DC haters. You love Marvel. I'm just not reading a lot of DC. So right. this isn't a, like, what I'm about to say is not meant to be any condemnation of DC because they could well be doing this too. But I'm reading some Marvel, more, a lot more Marvel than DC, and I'm digging in all seriousness, even though I'm a 40 year old white man. I'm, I'm loving that they're really giving legitimate diversity. In books, you know, from obviously Kamala Khan and Miss Marvel is the most notable of, of that diversity push. But, but, uh, but this first issue of Moon Girl was, was great, man. I mean, talk about a character. I mean, Lunella is unlike any character we've seen in Marvel Comics as a heroine, right? I mean, yeah. she's an uber geeky, uh, young black woman. Like that's, I'm, I'm sure there's some comic out there that's had a similar type of, of main character, but I, I don't know that I've ever read one. And, um, uh, you know, Brandon Montclair and Amy Reader have good chemistry together. They've been collaborators on a bunch of things, most notably Rocket Girl. And, yep. 
Um, as you noted that, uh, I guess it's, is it, is it Natasha? It's not Natasha, right? It's Natasha. I, yeah, it's, I mean, it's spelled Natasha, but yeah, I, it, it's, yeah. So I don't know if it's, it's spelled Natasha, but Natasha Bustos, I love the art. Yeah. It's, it's, and, and, and again, we don't, I don't, Tamara Bonvillain, this, this may not be the first book I've ever seen of hers that she colored, but it's the first time I've noticed her name. And it's just perfect coloring for this book. It's such a bright book. I mean, it's just vibrant. It's, it's just, this book screams daylight, right? Yeah. Like I feel like in an era where TV and movies and even many comics are shaded in this darkness. Um, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, many of my favorite things are, are lit that way, but this is just a super bright book. Like just bright primary colors. And I think it's perfect. Even, so, even with her, uh, scavenging at night, it's still bright. You can still see everything. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Great sound effects and great yeah. use of the sound effects graphically. I just love the whole thing. I, I, you know, I, um, it look like, as you said last week, these are quirky characters. These are obscure characters. I mean, for all the love that, that the, the big time Kirby heads like Vince may have for Moon Boy and Devil Dinosaur. I mean, this is not exactly, these aren't household names and, uh, no. it's cool. It's a, it's a great first issue, man. It's just, it does what a first issue should do. Give you enough action to keep you there. Introduce you to the character, make you care about the character, and want to see what happens next. And that's the issue. Does all of them, all of that for real? Yeah, no. So. It's I even the, the, the panel layouts. Things are just it, they just everything flows. And I, I um I sent uh, I showed Renee some preview pages because I was telling Renee about it, and I, I mentioned that um when the first when when we get the first trade, I'll, I'll get it for um one of my nieces, and so I send pictures to to Renee. And she's like. What's with the socks? I'm like, she, she's a rebel. She's like, I, I said, she, she's a rebel. You know, she, she wearing her socks all like to the knee highs and shit. She's like, yeah, okay, whatever. No one wears the socks like that. So of, of everything that you see on this, you're going to, is, so the socks are her fucking foot cloth. So the, well, she is married to right? you. <laughs> there, there had to be some attraction so there somewhere. Uh, <laughs> when no, you guys I, hit it, do you keep your socks on? <laughs> fuck no. He scratches her up with his little foot. That's claw. it, baby. Oh, I keep my uh-huh. foot straight too. So no, Fully can't, close. can't do some notes. <laughs> just, and the lights off. I can't see nothing. <laughs> he puts the sheet over it. with the hole in, hole in it. It's, it's like a ghost screaming. It's like in uh, Kirby Enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am. I'm so glad you took it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, yeah. did you read uh, the third issue of Cap Sam Wilson? No, not yet. Okay. I won't, I won't spoil it. I mean, it's a continuation of what's been going on already. Yeah. Um, but I saw I, the cover. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the thing for me, and I'll just, again, I don't think this is a crazy spoiler for anyone because I think I'm one of the only four people on earth that absolutely are obsessed about these characters, but serpent fucking society. <laughs> oh, Holy no. shit. I know, man. Good. I'm glad you mentioned that. Why? I really am because I have a similar geek out. Oh, cool. Well, yeah. So, you, so I just let me just say though. I mean, that that uh, Acuna's art kicking, loving the Sam Wilson, like the third issues. I, I'm I think it's a really strong start. Um, I I'm digging the Misty Knight partnership. They haven't yeah. hit them skins yet, but I know that's coming. Um, so yeah, cool with that. And then I just want to send one more quick Marvel shout out. I've been kind of tough on Deadpool, like. Because people think of me as the Deadpool guy, and I'm often, I feel like more often than the last few years saying, like, listen, I love Deadpool, but I haven't been crazy about what's been going on. Um, I, I'm digging, like, the the new Deadpool launch. Like, it's the same team as Jerry Duggan and, and crew, but uh, basically Deadpool's created, like, a Heroes for Hire, 
And like, it's all C-list characters that now dress up like Deadpool and impersonate him when he can't be at a place. But it's like the most madcap group of people. It's like Kane, uh, Stingray, Fool Killer. <laughs> and, uh, in this month's previews, they're spinning out a book where it's going to be all those guys in like a heroes for hire book with him, which I'm just all about. Like that's right in my wheelhouse. If you think I'm not creating a jam piece of that, you're wrong. So, Oh, it's probably already being worked oh, on. I got it out right now. Like, Seriously. I, I got, right the, yeah, I got all that I was working on right now. So what is this all new Deadpool number? Or is that the series? Yeah. All, all new, new Deadpool. Deadpool. I think, uh, yeah, nice. I, I, yes, I don't, I think it's all new Deadpool number one. Yes. I'm gonna check that out because I do love Deadpool myself. Cause comics should be ridiculous, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, which is why I got I'll read it. Some, I got some lightning round stuff. Oh, do me it. Too. Go ahead. Yeah, oh, you want me to get like a little buzzer? Well, you, if you would like to, um, you mentioned Serpent Society. You you always geek out oh, on the serpents, shit. right? Because you you have an affinity for those characters based on whatever you were just We're at the time. right age. Yeah, but I mean, you were young. They 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 imprinted on yeah, you for whatever reason. I have favorites like that as well. This thing, I'm I'm late to the party as well. My compatriots talked about this event in far in far greater detail than I ever did. Maybe I read one thing, but now I'm finally getting to the convergence stuff. And this was this was written by Jeff Parker. Uh, I'm laughing pencils, because I know what you're about to talk about. And we we did discuss this book when it came out. Yeah, pencils by the great, and that's not an understatement. Tim Truman, uh, Enrique Alcatena did the inks. John Kellis was the colorist. Dave Sharp did the letter. I am I'm talking about Convergence Hawkman, and in the second issue, and I know why they. I, I kind of sort of know why they use them because. You know, these are characters with wings. So for Hawkman to, you know, be rendered effectively in his native habitat, which is uh, the air, he should or, you know, best case scenario, be battling a foe or foes with wings. So that makes sense to me. But why Parker chose out of all the characters he could have used the fucking bats from Commanding Number Nine, my favorite comic book of all time. And the bats show up in this book. I mean, it's Truman. So Truman, there's a little bit of Kirby in Truman, but for the most part, you know, he, he's, he, he has a very, very different approach. And, and it's a very different approach to the bats. But in my mind's eye, as a, oh, I don't even know how old I was, 10 year old kid, I I see Jack's bats and I see tracking site and I see um Dr. Canis and you know a lot of those things aren't even in this book but when when you bring out the bats from Kirby you you have one over my heart and and it it wouldn't have been as successful had the creative team of Truman and El Catania been so great I mean I I just consume Truman stuff all of it there, there's just never been a Truman book that I didn't walk away from it saying, God damn, that guy's good. Scout. And I mean, I don't have to go through the list. But it, it, again, if you're going to plug in the Wayback Machine and find an artist to render a book that is indebted to the past as much as the Convergence books were, Hawkman, Tim Truman, I mean, that's a no-brainer, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I thought this issue, these these two issues... We're great. And, and another, t- 
tip of the hat to our sponsor. I got both issues, uh, each of which were three ninety nine for less than half the price of one issue. So there are multitude of benefits to going with DCBService.com. This awesome. is not the lead. Yeah, it's not the. I have another one. Um, with one hand I caress, and with the other I slap. Uh, two of the biggest names in comics. Um, at least they were in the '90s, and they cast a very long shadow. I love them both. Eric Larson, Todd McFarlane. Oh boy. Spawn number two fifty-eight. Enough mm. said. It, it's almost enough said issue. I'm glad you mentioned that because, um, if they were getting paid by the word, they would have both got about a dollar 98 <laughs> for this issue. There are literally three pages of words in this issue. One of which is a double page spread. The rest completely silent, save for the very last page when, um, Al Simmons uh, re- reveals his message to Satan. It's it's carnage, and in true Spawn fashion, there's a countdown, but it's not, um, you know, the countdown to Spawn's powers. It's the countdown to the number of demons left alive in hell, because because Al goes on a killing spree, and what started off as, I'll give you the exact number, three thousand four hundred and ninety-two um, demons is reduced to one and one is left alive to deliver a message to the devil that spawn uh you know wants him to know i thought the art was fantastic larson doesn't ever do anything less than fantastic art but um it was not a complete experience for me uh visually stunning story-wise uh, kind of left a lot to be desired. How much of this could have been done in like four pages, five pages, instead of the entire issue? And I know it was a theme and that's what they were shooting for, but when you got, and, and McFarlane is involved in the art as well. So, I mean, Eric's probably laying it down, roughing it out, and they're both inking it, which is great. I mean, it, the, the proof is in the pudding as far as the visuals go, but story-wise, if this is their recipe for success, a uh, successful working partnership i hope it doesn't last long because i i need some words mm. give me some story here you know um and last but not least this is one of the books you should be reading um i i, I believe it's falling under the radar it wasn't when the when the series was Saga? initially launched no what was initially launched uh it's a creator um, well, this, the book is based on the work of a creator who is even bigger than Saga. He's almost as big as God. Hmm. Um, in terms of the liter- literary world, uh, he is the equivalent of the Beatles of the li- literary world. And I'm talking about Stephen King. How the Dark Tower fell out of favor with readers or maybe sales, I don't know, is a mystery to me because... Um, the, the latest series, Dark Tower, The Drawing of the Three, uh, Our Lady of, Sh- uh, The Lady of Shadows, it's amazing. And if you're, especially if you're a Stephen King fan, and if you've read The Dark Tower, you're gonna love this. It, it, it's, it's amazing stuff. It's, um, Eddie and, uh, Roland have already teamed up, so now we need the third member of the quartet, and that of course is 
Odetta or Detta. Um, and this is her story. How she became, what happened, that, that fateful brick that whacked her on the head and revealed her, um, alternate personality, which is the same personality, only different. Uh, the plot and consultation was done by Robin Firth, who is no stranger to the Dark Tower. Peter David wrote the script. Jonathan Marks did the art. Lee Lowridge and Jonathan Marks did the coloring. Joe Sabino did the, uh, lettering. It's no secret I can't get enough of the Dark Tower stuff. And this is um, Odetta's story. And you should be reading it because it's every bit as good as anything that Marvel has published Dark Tower related in the past. It's just different. I mean, the drawing of the three, if you've read the books, is a much different book than The Wastelands and The Gunslinger. And like that's the magic of the Dark Tower. All the books are different. Right. There, there's, you know, there's one's a Western, one's sci-fi. You have a train that's fucking, you know, alive and crazy. It's just, um, it's amazing stuff. And I want to see, I mean, they've, they've curtailed the production value on the Dark Tower books to a certain extent where we used to get clay coated stiff covers. Now we get self covers, you know, and they used to go absolutely ape shit with the back matter. Like we would get essays from Robin Firth on various and sundry aspects of Stephen King's tale. Uh, now we get, you know, script. And if there's one thing I really have no value for, it's publishing this, the, the script pages. Right on, Brozak. I, I, I don't, I don't even bother reading them. They, they do nothing for me. Nothing. I bought, I bought a comic, you know, Church. not a, 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 not a novel, but see, that was the value in Robin Firth's essays back in the, you know, when Eisenhower and, and uh, uh, Jay Lee were, were illustrating the book, there was much value in those essays because they expanded upon the concepts in the book. This just reiterates something we already read. Like, and, and, and again, penciled pages, roughs, and inked pages, and, and colored. Like, we've already, I don't, I don't want to see that. Mm-hmm. That's just, you're just taking up pages in the back. Right. But as far as the main story, Oh man, this is fantastic. And you should be reading it. It's a mature, um, title. Drawing of the Three, Lady of Shadows. This was issue number three. There's only two more and it's going to move on, but scoop them. The, the trade I think is offered soon. So you should, you should get on this. And if you haven't kept up with the Dark Tower stuff, go back and read it all because it's amazing. Amazing. It is. It's good stuff. Love it. Yeah. Uh... So I'm, I'm done. Lightning round. Boom. All right, so a couple quick hits from me are, uh, let's see, Hercules number one, written by Dan Abnett, art by Luke Ross, uh, Guru FX, does your colors. Um, I am a Hercules oh. fan. No, 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 I'm a Hercules fan for the most part. You know, the, the, the Bob Layton Prince of Power, those two miniseries, um, what Van Lenty and, and Pac did with, uh, Incredible Herc, and I, um, I like the character. You know, I'm not, he's not, I don't drop everything to read what he's doing, but I, I read this first issue and I really enjoyed it. He's, um, he's got a, a house guest known as Gilgamesh. That's and, much shit right uh, there. Forgotten man. <laughs> yes. But although sadly still, whenever I think of Gilgamesh, I think of Gilgamesh too, uh, by Jim Starlin, but the, uh, which was awesome. Was, back that, back it, it up. Was, it absolutely <laughs> was, which is why I think of it. But the, um, yeah, this Hercules is more of a, uh, uh, 
Uh, not a mercenary, just like, uh, he, he, he'll, he'll solve your problems. He's a fixer. And, uh, a couple of kids asking for help. Um, but they, uh, they need to offer, um, they, you don't pay money, but, uh, you have to, uh, appropriate them. And in this case, uh, one of the kids, uh, gives them something that, uh, looks like the equivalent of like Magic the Gathering cards. And, uh, you see at the end that uh Herc has a whole uh dresser top full of um other offerings that were near and dear to other clients or customers. But I thought it was a um it was a pretty cool start. I, I dig this take on uh, on Hercules because it's he's a character that you kind of they've done a lot to him and with him. He's been an Avenger. He's been in the future. He's, he's, he's been around a long time. Uh, but to see him kind of just take care of problems in the neighborhood and, and things like that, it's, it's, uh, it's different. So mm. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really cool with that. And, and, you know, he's got the, uh, the, the, was it the, uh, Secretary General on, on, has him on speed dial because something's going on over in the, uh, in the harbor and, uh, Hercules has to take care of it, but his, his, uh, little gun room is, is all decked out with a whole bunch of, of shields and swords and various weapons that he's acquired over the years, uh, including automatic rifles and, uh, but you do see the old Hercules outfit in a, uh, in, in a glass chamber, just like, um, Jason Todd's Robin costume. So, the, uh, <laughs> lit from above is, uh, for dramatic effects. Uh, um so that's that's first thing i would definitely recommend that have you check that out i uh i can i be candid for a second sure i don't like the premise it sounds far too mundane for the prince of power because um for me hercules never got better than uh greg pack and fred van lenty and where they mix the mythology with the the, the contemporary tales and they had all that stuff right. trailing through it with the agents of Atlas and you know just that whole pantheon of stuff that they introduced Hercules solving problems well, in the hood. yeah but no but but the problems that he's solving are problems that only Hercules can solve he he's talking oh, he's he's talking you know and he he's they they did the neat trick with the with the lettering styles and you know he's talking as if you know he's not a man of the people, but he's, he's the dude in your neighborhood. And it's, it's definitely, you know, a Greek neighborhood. It's probably, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Queens. Um, and you, uh, he's, he's just talking as if everybody does, but there's a, uh, the reason that the two, that these two children, that these two boys go looking for Hercules is because the sister of one of them is dating a guy and the guy is not, um, to be, uh, to be trusted treats uh-huh. treats the sister bad talks talks mean to 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 her younger brother so hercules realizes that uh something's amiss and he uh he is actually a um a an ermut and when the boyfriend changes form the boyfriend's talking in that old speak 
And he keeps wanting Hercules to talk like that, you know, quit, quit sullying your, 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 your mouth with, with, with the way this, 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 this language is now, you know, the way they talk. And, and Hercules finally just is like, you know what, fuck it then. And, and, and he does, he like, he, he, he digs deep and, and he, you know, he becomes what, you know, he kind of used to be. Uh, so they do, it's not like he's just running around, you know, beating up on a dude who's like, uh, roughing up mom and pop owners that uh you know at the hardware store he's he's actually fighting a mythical creature in this and uh and and they do kind of he he also um sees athena who hasn't uh he hasn't seen in a very long time so that seems to be a sign of uh of things to come so it's it it is I, I, I get where you're going with the mundane, but no, they, it, it's not like that. And it's like, then just fuck it. You know, it's like, we couldn't get, uh, we couldn't get anybody for this book. So let's just put Hercules in this spot. You're, you're, right. you're going to get some of that mythology. All right. You tell me at the end of the first arc, should I read it? Because Pac and Van Lenti were smart enough. And I don't know if many people picked up on this, but if you, a great, Hercules story can also be a great Thor story. I mean, the, the, the yes, two are, 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 are right. interchangeable. I mean, what would, I mean, could you see Thor in this series doing these things? Uh, maybe now Odin some with his one arm, maybe, but, uh, I, I'll, I'll read it when you tell me when the arc's done and I'll read it. And you know, and then, but, and, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. The, um, and, and it's a sea monster at the end that the secretary, that the secretary general is, is. Well, why didn't you say sea monster? <laughs> we could have ended this a lot <laughs> earlier. Uh, it's actually, no, it's got, it's, it's got these tentacles. It, it's, it's in shadow. So you, um, yeah, I'm not, it, it's, but I don't, maybe want, it's the Midgard serpents. Maybe I, I was going to say this. Speaking of Pac, speaking of the incredible Hercules series. Um, did any of you all get a chance to peep the totally awesome Hulk number one? Mm, no. When did that come out? Uh, today. Oh, no, well, no, no, not yet. Um, I read one thing from today. All right. Well, the premise is, and again, it's, 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 a, well, first of all, it's written by Pac and it's, uh, art by Frank Cho, but it is the new Hulk, the totally awesome Hulk is none other than Mr. Amadeus Cho. Yeah. Are you re- saying yeah? Like you're saying it like reticently. No. Well, yeah, is maybe that, a bit. Secret words. Maybe, maybe a maybe a bit. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna read it because it's all. No, it's good, dude. Yeah. It's very good. I love that okay. show as a character, and I, and again, this is Greg Pak, man. Greg Pak bring the Hulk, dude. I'm there. It's awesome. Is, are there are there dinosaurs in it? I'm not gonna tell you that, dude. <laughs> yeah, just tell me if there's dinosaurs in it or not. You're pretty. There's got to be dinosaurs in it. It's Frank Cho. Dinosaurs are apes. Mon- it's uh, monkeys. like a two-headed toad dinosaur kaiju. That's cool. Yeah. I'm there. I'm there. It's I I can't say no to Hulk. I've never been able to successfully pull that off. Yeah, uh, and the, there are dinosaurs actually because there's Lady Hellkiller, and uh, no, it's cool. It, it dude, it's a lot of fun. It's exactly what you would expect from from uh, from Frank Cho. It's a it's been a long time. It's been a hot minute since I've seen him do interiors. Um, Herman, it's it's it's. I I thought it was a hell of a lot of fun. 
Hardcover. Mayhap, mayhap. No, there's no mayhap. Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> um, the... Ugh. Oh. David. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I threw, he threw his burp. Um, <laughs> the, uh, number, number, number two for the, uh, was one that I... What number two? No, this is, uh, who's number two work for? This was number, um, this was my, my second, my oh, lightning okay. round. Uh, oh. the, um, this is another, another first issue that I decided to, to, to give a shot. This was Limbo by Image. Ah, oh, yes. Um, and it is, uh, written yes. by Dan Waters. Waters? What? I'm gonna say Waters. W-A-T-T-E-R-S. Uh, art is by Casper. Wingard and lettering is by Jim Campbell. This kind of ramped up towards the end for me, the first issue. It, it, it starts off a little slow. The, the, the lead character has amnesia. He, he, he like doesn't remember anything that happened beyond nine months ago. Um, and he, uh, he's basically a, a private investigator, PI. Um, so he gets um gets a client she uh she works at a nightclub he decides to take the job and when uh there's there's a guy called the thumb he's basically like the 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 big crime boss the drug lord he looks like he wears a um a luchador mask uh and the art is, is, um, the art, like I said, by, it changes somewhat for me from, from the first page to the last. It, it really, it got better as the issue continued, I felt. And, and then it really, uh, things start to, the mystery looks more interesting. Like if, if, if it, if the last few pages didn't happen, I probably wouldn't come back for the second issue, but, because of the, uh, the, it's very, it reminds me of the, the, the last two pages or so with the way the panels are laid out. Um, it's like the end of a television show and like the last 90 seconds are just various scenes of the characters from the show doing things. Uh, no, just music playing. You don't hear what they're saying. It's just everybody's going through doing their thing and you're curious and then, and then it ends. It, it, this is very much like that where you're, uh, looks like someone has information on, on Clay, the detective on, um, on his previous, on the memories that, that he no longer remembers. Uh, it looks like these two hillbilly looking dudes that Clay got into a fight in earlier in the issue, uh, are really, um, flesh-eating monsters. Uh, not sure what's going on with the thumb yet. There's, there's definitely some, some voodoo going on. There's some, um, black magic type stuff, but I wasn't, it, I, I started reading it and then I put it down and read a few other things and I says, all right, let me see if I can finish it before tonight. And, and I did. And I'm, I'm, Glad I stuck with the issue and I'll give it another issue or two to see if it still holds my interest. But if, if you, if you weren't feeling it after the first couple of pages, then, um, get to the end 
and then let me know if, if you still feel the same way. Cause if, if I didn't, I, I'd be kind of bummed if I knew this was hiding in those back pages, if I just put it down after the first few. So, uh, there's that. And then finally, since I didn't get to read the new Hulk from today or the new Daredevil from today, I did read Spidey number one, um, by Robbie Thompson, Nick Bradshaw, Jim Campbell, and Travis Lanham. And this was, uh, this was fun. This is, it's right there in the title. It's Spidey. It's not Amazing Spider-Man. It's not Ultimate Spider-Man. It's not Miles Morales. It's, it's Spidey as in like Spidey super stories. Uh, like the, 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 be still my, I know. Uh, It's, it's kind of Marvel Adventures y in, in the sense that it's, it's all ages. It's, it's very bright. It's very, um, you know, Bradshaw's style. It's, it's that cartoony, slightly more open Art Adams esque look. Uh, it's, it's kind of fitting. I, I dig his Spidey. Uh, but this is a very, uh, young, just kind of starting out Spider-Man. Uh, still in high school. Flash is the bully. Um, Harry's his best friend. Gwen is here. Uh, and it's, yes. Um, there's a, uh, but things are slightly tweaked somewhat. There's, um, Peter's narrating the story and, and it's happening at the time. It's not like he's looking back and it's a flashback or anything like that. So it's, it's real time as far as the story he's telling. And, uh, as he's telling things and talking about how he and Flash used to be best friends and, uh, but then, you know, Flash grew up and he got bigger and he got muscles and, and basically, you know, since Peter became, was still the small scrawny dude that just made him easy to be picked on. So now they're no longer best friends and, uh, there's just a few things that they kind of, I'm not going to say fudge with, but they're, they're, or they're, they're not really fast and loose either. Everything is still, all the players are in place. It's just some things have been added or, or, uh, they've embellished on, on, but it's, you know, this is a character who's been around for how many decades? It's, it's, if, if they're going to do anything to kind of liven it up and, um, you know, we're in an age now where every story is going to have a smartphone or a tablet or something like that. So you kind of have to show some of those older stories when they were young and, and kind of starting out with technology that makes sense so that if it's the same story read five years from now, it doesn't look so out of place. So, uh, I thought, I thought it was a pretty cool take. It's, it's, like I say, it's refreshing or anything like that. It's it's different than slots, but it's still Spider-Man. It's still Peter Parker. You still get that feel from it. Uh, it's just um, sounds like it's just good. It is. It, it, it as it, every Spider-Man yeah, comic is. Yeah, that's true. So it's it's. Uh, I dug it. I, I would uh, definitely recommend it, if, especially if you know if you're not feeling slots for whatever reason. If you're not so high on uh, you know this this uh, industrialist. This, this, this Lord of Industry, Peter Parker, then, uh, then by all means, um. Yeah, it's not gonna last long. I know. They can't. But so yeah. So that was, uh, yeah, Vince did three, I did three, we're good. Nice. All of these books we've talked about tonight can probably be procured from our sponsor in one form or another. Yeah. Discount comic book service, dcbservice.com. Get your books, get them fast, get them delivered right to your door for a fraction. Not even close to list price and save a whole lot of effort in the process. You go on the internet, you tell them what you want and you get it <laughs> at a massive discount. 
seriously, if you're not a DCB service subscriber, why? What's your reason? Do you not like to save money? Do you not like to I get mean, everything? You hate you, fun, or, there's no reason. See, why? Well, that's the, yeah, it's kind of trite. But, oh um, my bad. <laughs> oh no, you didn't. Oh no, you did. No, oh, seriously. Oh my lord. Everybody, you save comics with the money you save. You can buy more comics. DCBService.com. Go there. Stress. Um, the second volume in another legendary series uh, has been published. From Titan Books by uh, Jacques Loeb and Philippe Drouillet. It is the grand prize winner of uh, Angoulême 1988. Lone Sloan, Volume 2. Delirious. It's out. Why don't you have this already? Why am I telling you about it? This should be in your library. Um, uh, our um, universe hopping adventurer is lured to the pleasure planet of Delirious. And just like the first volume, massive double-page battles, uh, incredibly rendered alien creatures, um, landscape just craziness, see us and die of pleasure. Um, the, the, the stunning cosmic vistas in this book, uh, <laughs> what can I say? They're incredible. If you're not familiar with the work of uh, Druyer, you best get on that. Because in uh, in the grand pantheon of of, of legendary illustrators, Druyer was in the uh, first couple years of heavy metal. That tells you all you need you to know. Mobius, Druyer, Tardy, like they're all massive magnitude illustrators, and this is no different. You should own it, Jason. Did you get this? I did. Ah, nice. So we'll talk about it at length once you've read just it. Like um, yes, <laughs> just like Ringside, you dick. Um, <laughs> delirious, get it? Lone Sloan, Delirious, Titan. Nice. Uh, speaking of the eleven o'clockers, uh, this is definitely going to be on mine. Uh, this was picked up early or brain early Monday morning. I, I didn't. Um, I didn't go crazy really with the uh, Cyber Monday sales, but I did take advantage of one or two things that uh, Comixology was offering. Books published by Dark Horse uh, that were stupid and cheap. And one in particular was something that just caught my eye. Uh, and then I read the, um, the back cover and that pretty much sealed the deal. This is by Mr. Jonathan Case, completely written by art by uh colors ish if you want to call it that because it's a black and white book mostly um with some blue hues uh and lettered but it's um it's called the new deal and this is set in new york city in 1935 primarily at the waldorf historia hotel oh. and it is about frank o'malley who's a bellhop and a gambler and Teresa Harris, who is a maid and an actress, and they work at the hotel. She is a um, a fetching black woman. He is a uh, he's an Irish American lad, just kind of always trying to be happy, always trying to look on the brighter side. Um, like me, yes, yes, <laughs> and 
and there are a few other characters that uh, show up at the hotel. Uh, Nina Booth is a guest. Horace Helmer is a guest. Horace is an absolute asshole. He actually, um, Frank was in on a poker game that uh, Horace was part of. Uh, ended up getting four hundred bucks in the hole. And, and, uh, Helmer said, next time I'm in town, you can pay me back. So, um, that is brought up. You also have, uh, Oscar, who's the manager of the hotel. Uh, what was cool is though, is I'm, I, I bought this Monday morning. I finally, I, I was going to start it Monday night, figured I'd, you know, at least check it out and then read it later. It's about a hundred and, six, seven, eight pages, I finished it. I I couldn't stop. And that's doesn't happen often, but when it does, it's it's something pretty pretty heavy. And there's there's detail out the ass on this on, on on these pages. Um my man Case loves the reference material. He uh he will go and buy old Sears catalogs from the thirties and, and so just as he can get the clothes right. And it nice. shows and it, it reads like some of my, my favorite movies of this era. It, it's, um, you, you kind of get that, that, that high trousers, fast talking vibe from it. You get the, uh, you, I can kind of imagine certain actors and actresses maybe playing these parts. There's, um, Wow, how much was four hundred dollars in the thirties? That's like that's like two that's like two three thousand yeah, yeah, dollars, right? Yeah. Wow. Um, there's a uh, however, there's a series of thefts going on at the hotel, and um, Helmer is going to bring attention to young Miss Harris being a maid who has access to the rooms, and of course, being black. Uh, who else could? Take uh, the the dog's collar or or somebody's um, butterfly brooch, and uh, there's some things kind of get straightened out. But uh, Frank and Teresa both end up um, kind of going into business for themselves on certain things. It's just it's it is it, it is a Beautiful looking book. There, there's some things here that remind me of Burn or Pelletier. There's, uh, there's, it's, it just, it looks amazing. If you can check out preview pages, definitely do so. But I, you should just own it, take it, buy it. I, it, it's, it's well worth your time. I don't, it, it's not even, yeah, part of it does play into the fact of, of, of the era, this setting, because there are things that, you know, this is just, the way things were. Orson Welles even shows up because like I said, Teresa's an oh, actress nice. and she's actually trying out for a role in Macbeth at the Lafayette. And, uh, there's the, the, uh, Nina Booth, the, uh, the other guest, she, she swears that there's, that there's something going on between Frank and Frank and Teresa, you know, it's like, are you two an item? And, and Teresa's not really saying anything about it. And, and Frank is kind of on the shy side. He's like, no, no, there isn't. Um, but what's neat about Nina is that, you know, she's like, oh, I was really hoping that there was something more than just, you know, the, uh, the, the maid who's, who's trying to 
strike it on on Broadway and and the colorblind bellhop and uh just the way everything kind of the way everybody just interacts is just really really good if I don't know if this was a labor of love for case but if if it wasn't he fucking fooled me but if if it is then mission accomplished definitely get it like I said it, it's going on my 11 o'clockers it is something that um that it's worth a reread because as I was rereading it today, uh, there were, there's a few, one particular scene that makes a lot more sense. I mean, on, on the surface, it looks just like, you know, okay, that, that's fine. That this is a conversation between these two characters. But after you finish it and you realize who all the players are, if you go back and reread it, when that, knowing what you know, that scene just makes blows the whole thing open it it's it fucking slick i think that uh hmm. yeah i read it, it, it dude it is wow. i i absolutely am if unfortunately it's mostly digital and so i there aren't i mean he's he's done batman 66 he's the artist on the green river killer by by dark horse which i also purchased oh, the same yeah, day yeah, yeah. Okay. um but the, uh, and, and he can draw the ladies. It's, it's just, it is a, the, the expressions. I mean, cause he's got one thing that will stop me dead in my tracks is when a very, very attractive woman bites her lower lip. Oh, yeah. And he oh, has, that. he has Teresa do this. And I just, I'm, I forgot everything I read on the page. I huh. It's nice. just, it, it's, Definite, dude. I'm telling you, it's it's and it's even the hardcover. I think the hardcover is only like maybe ten, twelve bucks. It's well, it's uh, yeah, definitely, dude. Do it. It's I love it. I have some closure. Go ahead. According to the Dollar Times inflation calculator, yes. four hundred dollars in nineteen thirty would equal five thousand four hundred and sixty dollars and seventy four cents. Damn. Uh, annual inflation of 3.12%, total inflation of 1265.19%. This is an annual kaiju budget. No, <laughs> oh, I wish, dude. Uh, I can't tell you the last time a piece of vinyl came through this house. It's been a, yeah, it's been a while. Been a hot right? minute. Yeah, I gotta rectify that, huh? Nice. Yep. Uh, before I do your travels, a little, uh, a little stat correction. Um, it turns out that Descender was intended to be a 24 issue series. But Jeff recently said that um, he's open to it going to as many as 40 issues now. Nice. Um, Want a shout out to a friend of ours who runs a, a very cool business, uh, Mr. Paolo Belfiore, who runs Cadence Comic Art. Yes. He he is the art rep for a great many phenomenal artists, including many of our good uh, friends and personal favorite artists like uh, Mr. Ryan Stegman, Mr. Mahmoud Asrar, Mr. Norton. Um, Raphael Albuquerque, there's, the list is, is long and distinguished. Um, I bring it up only because he is having his annual holiday sale as you hear this. Um, discounts I believe range from 15 to 30% depending on the artist, but pretty hefty, especially for something that's not inexpensive. Uh, so, um, and it looks like it's fairly broad. I'm just looking through the set. It looks like almost everybody, if not everybody's participating. So, uh, there's definitely something in that collection for your comic-loving geek out there. There's something in there that they would love to have. Um, 
Now, in your travels, I'm going to ask you what the following people have in common. Okay. Evan Dorkin. Okay. Derek, Derek Charm. Frank Camuso. Zach Gorman. Dave Kellett. Keith Knight. Mike Kunkel. Mo Williams. Ryan Sook. Mike Allred. Paige Braddock. Dan Hip. Jeff Lemire. Tony Millionaire. Dustin mm. Nguyen. Oh. Jen Wang. Matt Groening. Raina Telgmeier. Patrick McDonnell. Stan Sakai. Terry Moore. And Paul Pope. Okay, needless to say, it's an anthology. Yeah, is it a Treehouse of Horror? Nope. No, 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 no. Um, it, wow. It's not Dark Horse Presents. Nope. It's, I don't want to be stumped, but I'm thinking I am. Okay. It's by Boom Studios. If that helps. Adventure Time? Nope. I'm speaking about the beautiful hardcover that I read this week. Peanuts, a tribute to Charles M. Schultz. Oh, son. No. Oh, shit. What? No. The purest. No. Go ahead. Go go ahead. (laughs) Oh, don't go there, dude. Dude, I don't like anybody else touching the... the No, then you're not going to like this then. No. Because all of those artists paid by request of the Schultz estate, loving tribute to... Good. Mr. Schultz's work in a awesome. wonderfully packaged, oversized hardcover. And each of the artists involved, um, and I'm, I'm probably forgetting a few, um, were asked to do whatever they wanted. So some are just straight pinups, some are, um, like a panel, and some are straight up comic strips, like multiple panels. Mm. So it's amazing. It's, it's, um, I mean, I know where you're coming from, Vince. Like, I, I, I had trouble vibing with, like, uh, the, uh, the Rocketeer stuff that came out a few years ago, even though it was well done because yeah. it yeah. wasn't Dave Stevens. So I get that. Like, I'm not going to say I'm totally, I'm not so I'm totally begrudge your instinct there, but, but, um, I just, I, I don't know. I, I love the idea of the artists involved doing this and, uh, it worked for me. It's beautiful. And it's, it's clearly a labor of love and every one of the people involved did an amazing job in their own way. So, um, I'll tell you the truth. Yeah. I'm much more willing to indulge in a tribute book. Mm-hmm. For peanuts than I am that monthly thing they got going on. Right, exactly. Yeah, so Boom has yeah. the Boom has a partnership to your point with uh with the Schultz family now to to and they're doing an ongoing comic, which I have not read, so I don't, I don't wanna I'm not gonna judge it since I haven't read it, but it's not been of interest to me. Um but this was and it's like I said, it's a one and done, it's great. It's uh it's an art book, it's a coffee table book. You can just have it on your you know, it's sitting right now uh on a shelf with my complete Don Martin and my complete uh, Calvin and Hobbes and, you know, it's just it's that kind of thing. So cool. if you're a Peanuts fan and you want to celebrate the 65th anniversary of the of the work, uh, then uh, I guess go see the movie and go give this a read. I heard the movie's <laughs> phenomenal. I haven't seen the movie, but I've heard it's great. Or just give the book a read. Have you seen the movie? Um, no, I don't want to. Oh, I've heard it's phenomenal. Um, yeah, me too. That's, that's good. Um, speaking of, of Boom, Tifa had their... Um, Black Friday sale. Have you seen? There was, um, for Boom, uh, the Adventure Time. The Encarnation. Yes. Mm-hmm. They, they had two of those for like 
thirty bucks. Yeah, a piece. I order That's them for Jackson when they come out, so we already have them. But there's only two hundred. Was it two hundred and fifty or, or or so of those things published? Is that right? You, you I, actually, I honestly, yeah. yeah. I just get them from our good friends and sponsor DCBS. That's cray. But I didn't pull the trigger. But I wanted to. I didn't. There was there was too many other. Yeah, they had the first series of the Godzilla mini mates, which I don't have. I do now. (laughs) So you know, it's priorities, bud. Oh, you Godzilla. just got done saying you haven't had a piece of vinyl come in your... They're not vinyl. They're the the mini-mates, those, like, Lego size. Right, but, well, aren't they're not vinyl, but they're plastic, I guess. Yeah. And I don't consider Pops vinyl either. I mean, they yes, they are vinyl, but they're not real. Well, I'm getting so you, like, we'll be... six dorbs for Christmas, so... <laughs> well, you know what? I love you so much. I I'll, I'll, I guess I'll take them. <laughs> what did you think of the swamp of the uh, of the swamp thing? Uh, I don't like it. You don't like the design? No, no. Uh, as much as I don't like the swamp thing one, I love the Voltron one. Have Dude, you seen the Voltron it? Voltron one is sick. Oh, you know, it's I'm disgusting. Not mates like you guys are, but uh, the pops like you guys are, but uh, but that's one I'm like I can dig on that one. Yeah, for real. Voltron, come on, it's got the sword and everything. It probably doesn't come out of it. Well, yeah, I guess it would to fit in the box. Since I got a couple the, of Shogokin for my office, my new office. What'd you get? Uh, I got repeats of ones I already have at home, but I, I got them for <laughs> to, to have there, a little <laughs> geek flavor to the office. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, repeat Shogokin. Yep, double dip. All, only in the wood household. <laughs> no, no, in the office. That's what I'm saying. It's only possible in the Wood household. No, but it's not in the household, though. It's in the New York household. It, or, it originates <laughs> in the household, dude. You, you no, it splitting I, hairs. I ordered it from Amazon. It was delivered to the office. It had nothing to do with the Wood household. Oh, Lord. Where does the money <laughs> go? Office. Does the, no, it doesn't. It, oh, you got them from the office? On, on the expense account? No, no. Oh, see, that would be cool. That'd be so fly. Uh, yeah, Jason, I'm looking at your expense report for this month and... What's a Chagokin? <laughs> Where did, why did you buy them? Cause Vince told me to. Oh, right then. That's cool. And you know what else is cool? You guys spending this time with us. We had a great time this week, speaking primarily for myself, but we went a little long, but so what? We love spending time with you and we hope if you enjoyed this that you'll come back with us next week and spend more time with us because we will always, always be here for you. There's one reason, one reason only. David gets really sad when you're not I'm here. So sad. Yeah, so come back, and in the meantime, say good night, David. Good night, David. Nice, perfect as usual. I'll try. Unlike the last episode. Whatever. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, see, I cut you off. Yeah. No, I wasn't going to say the other show. The other show's f- to date pretty damn good. That's true. Yeah. In which Jason gets caught up so he can geek out on that one scene. Soon enough, dude. Not soon enough. I don't care what you say, David. She is hot. Kristen Ritter, yeah, this is... Yes. Patsy gives her definitely a run for her money. I think Patsy's in the lead. Oh, Patsy's uh, hotter, yeah. Oh, man. uh, I would be so bad. have Have you guys met Patsy's mother? Uh, yes. Do you know That's who a, that is? Yes, yes, I do. Can you believe That's, the fucking work I, that was done on that face? I know. That's. I'm gonna leave the 
the porch window open so the wind can come in and blow your dress all over Rebecca De Mornay yes. from Risky Business. Yes. yes. What a chance. Wait, come on. Time, time, the effects of time cannot be escaped. It happens. Yes. She's still a beautiful woman, but. Well, thanks to. No, yes, but no, no way near what she once was, but who, who is, right? Who of us is? You. So don't do that. Yeah, don't do she's that. still, she's still attractive, but. She ain't risky business attractive with that wind blowing in the... <laughs> Alright, settle down, champ. Yeah, I know, that seems great. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Say bye. Ladies. Jason, say bye. Oh, I'm not gonna hear that. Bye-bye. Nice. Bye, guys. Bye.